Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of MCG Rants. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, with the holidays and everything's going on and Ross's computer trouble, we've we've kind of had to like just push a little things aside for a second, but we're going to make it up with a pretty sweet episode here today. Yeah, an extended holiday break. Hope everybody had a good time celebrating or not celebrating whatever it is you do. You know, I was able to have a little Zoom call on Christmas with my family. Mm-hmm. Just hung out with them for a few hours. How how was that, by the way? I know a lot of people who did it, and they said it was actually like good and bad. You know, like it makes you realize what you're missing, but at the same time, you get like some of it. You know, but it might be just right for some people if they're like, you know, there's just some people like like me who don't like spending extended periods of time with their family. You know, so yeah, I usually go home and I'm there for you know a week, week and a half. But that's like most of the time I'm home over the course of a year. So in this case, it was good to see them. Would have hoped, to, would have liked to have gone back, but it was definitely like I, I'm not going to be. It's, it seems extra cynical to me to say that like the Zoom call isn't good because it shows you what you're missing. It's like it's still better than than nothing. Like you know what you're missing. You've you've done the other thing before, so you know it's it's definitely better than nothing. But certainly no replacement for actually going home. My I actually ha- I had a Christmas tree because I was home for the first time in years. My uh, on my birthday, my mom sent me a like tabletop tree that sits like in, how, in its own pot. How tall are we talking here? Oh, it's it's like a foot and a half. Uh, Ross is showing it to me right <laughs> yeah. now with his phone. All right, all right, cute, cute. I like it. Did you did you do? It doesn't look like there was many ornaments on that. Did you take them down or? Did you oh no, them? I there's just only two, and I didn't go buy more. We should probably there just try get one. It, it, it has lights. There you go. Oh, there you go. Okay, so the lights make it like wait, like without the lights, I was like, "What's going on here? This is just a yeah. tree. <laughs> like, there's there's nothing actually. There's, there's, a, there's a some pine tree. cones. There's an elephant, and I've got the little R- Rudolph or reindeer, or whatever up there. We're good. Um, I was gonna say, I'm, I'm reminded every every Christmas about the this, the same thing. You know, like um, I like sh- I've actually been streaming quite often the last couple weeks, and you know, and some people ask me, they're like, you know, because I streamed, I streamed like on Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, the day after, like all the way, and people were like, "Hey, did you get anything good?" for christmas and i was like yeah like i got cash which is always nice you know um and then like clothes and it's i I talk about this every year it's so funny how flipped i am from like 10 to 11 year old tannin or whatever who like i wanted video games i wanted stuff you know like i wanted like material toy type stuff books video games something like that entertainment type purposes you know the selfish stuff that you generally want and then now i'm like underwear yes you know and like you know 10 year old me would have been pissed you know, to get this. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Soap from Barrister and Man. Yes! You know, like... Well, it's like, it, it's the complete change in... It's really a change in your condition. Like, when you're a child, all of the necessities of life, your your parents are, are taken care of, right? You know, uh, especially when when you're really young and super excited about Christmas. And uh, and so, obviously, like, when it's on Christmas, the things you, things that you, you actually want are you know the the superfluous things but then when you're an adult you're generally taking care of like the the really cool entertainment stuff that you want right like you know you're 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 buying whatever the things that are annoying are the things that you have to buy that you just don't want to spend time acquiring the the necessities that are just annoying to shop for so getting those and and so it's really not the thing that you're getting it's saving you the annoyance of having to get exactly it. Exactly, and like you kind of you kind of come to expect it. Like I know every year I'm gonna get some sweaters and yeah. like and like underwear. 
you know, and I'm like, I don't have to buy this during the year because I'm going to get another two or three or four or five of them every year. Yeah, I literally do not shop for winter clothing. It, it, yeah. it just Christmas, like, you know, I added one sweater a year and that's fine. Yeah, because I'm one of those people like I'm not. But besides, I, I did have a wardrobe up, update in the last year because of, you know, the job that I had and stuff. And I, you know, when I was in the office, I had to, you know, be in a lot nicer clothing. So I had to get more of that. Right. But before that, I was kind of person like, I generally, you, you've seen my wardrobe enough. You've been around me. My stuff's very plain and easy. I like very monotone, easy stuff. It's like the, um, it's almost like the thing I, I remind a lot of like Zuckerberg, you know, they talk about he wears the exact same thing every day just so he doesn't have to make that choice. It's just, yeah. you know, choice fatigue or it's just something I don't want to think about. I don't want to have to worry about. You know what I mean? Like I knew how to pack every time I was on a trip, which by the way, if I ever go into another magic trip, it's going to be weird to like not pack a jersey, you know, if I'm, like <laughs> not sponsored at the time because it's been so long. So I mean, it's like. It was just so easy. Like, you know, I wore a pair of pants like to the to the to the plane that I'd be wearing for the weekend. I'd like pack a pair of shorts or something, you know, and then like my shirts for for that. And then like I'm good. I'm done. Yeah, I, I would always have the the BCW polos to one side and one drawer yeah. of my dresser. I just like reach in, grab three, grab like it. the top three of the stack, <laughs> yep. throw them in. It's so convenient. It's so funny that you're the same way because if anyone saw us at these events, especially when we were playing the team events of like Brennan or whatever, it looked like we coordinated because we like almost always wore the same colors in the same days. And there was never a word spoken about that. We were never like, hey, blue shirt today. Hey, black shirt today. Like, you know, hey, gray shirt. That never happened. Just it just ha- it just worked that way, I think. So it was kind of sometimes nice. we were two and one. I don't think we ever got to the point where we were one, one, one. No, but we were we were either two and one or th- we were we three were, a lot. We were never <laughs> skate. We were never scalene. Sometimes we were isosceles. Yeah, something like that, sure. Big words, math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I was about to say, so I've, I've been watching a little bit of basketball during the holidays, not as much as I thought I would be watching, but uh, the Pelicans are fun to watch. Um, I was about to say, I have, I have a fantasy team this year. We're not going to get into more details because I don't want to talk about this league because I'm very angry about something in this league, <laughs> which you've probably heard about. And like, I don't want to get into it because I'll get really mad. But I'll say this. Uh, Bogdanovich is fucking killing me, Ross. Yeah, he's killing me too, Tannen. He's either like he's either like, dude, I'm like eight for twelve tonight with twenty something points, or I'm zero for nine every night. The, the eight for twelve was one game. So you know had, what I he mean. Had, he had one insane game against San Antonio, and he had one insane quarter of the game where he was like five for five from three in one quarter. So he's played one and a quarter good games out of eight so far. And the other ones have been. They, it's not like they haven't been. It's not like they've just been okay. They've been bad. Yeah, and a, a lot of it is him just missing bunnies at the rim, which is weird. You know, he, he, he had surgery on, on the wrist, uh, and that's why he missed the bubble last year. And he's still, like, not, you know, completely 100%. He's wearing, like, and apparently the, the game he went off, he wore a sleeve. And he normally hates, like, wearing anything. This is how, how he is. But he wore it, and he, like, went off. I don't know if he wore it again for the, the next game uh, where he wasn't as good. Uh, next two games, actually, because that, the San Antonio game was three games ago. But, yeah, no, no. Believe me, but Bogey has been the, you know, it, it'll eventually turn around. Don't worry. Don't sell low on him. It'll come back around. He just needs I don't to, do you that, know. By the way. Yeah. It's an eight month layoff. He just needs a little bit of time. Yeah. Jazz on a bit of a slump right now, but. I'm the guy who trades for people at low. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm the one who makes the move. You know yeah. I mean? Who's, like, who, who had a bad first two weeks? Let me trade for yeah. them. Let's, 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 sit, let's, let's put the feelers out. Let's, let's I, see if they're I still move. remember the. It was probably. It must have been like a decade ago at this point. And in our fantasy baseball league, like late April, I'm just looking at who's available, and I just see Brandon Phillips. Yeah, but like when he was good, 
in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. 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 and he just had a horrible April. Like, he had, like, 210, right, for three or four weeks. And I'm just like, snap him up. And I, like, needed a second baseman. Just immediately was – I think his May was insane. He had, like, 360. <laughs> I'm just I like, am a why do people wire, do this? Yeah, I am a waiver wire vulture. I, 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 I check – like, even this league, which I don't care about, like, we're not playing for anything anymore, really – you know, like, I still look at it every day just because, A, I like to protect the integrity of leagues, and B, like, it's just something for me to do. It makes me care a little bit more, so it's, it's, it's fun, you know. Hey, it's not baseball, but, you know, what is other than baseball, so. A lot of things are baseball. Cricket is basically baseball. True. Baseball is basically cricket. <laughs> Tennis is kind of like baseball. It's like it's like baseball, but you replace the pitcher with another hitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of baseball, I don't know, but have you seen that? Okay, so... The, the offseason has been really weird. We talked about this. The offseason for baseball has been really strange, mostly because, mostly because uh, you know, the uncertainty going... I, I was trying to look for the right word. The uncertainty going into the next season. It looks like the season is going to start on time. Um, it looks like we're going to get mostly a full schedule uh, and some a decent bit of minor leagues is going to happen. All this was, you know, like, hey, how many games they're going to play? Are they going to start on time? We don't know all the, you know, the, there still might be a rules change or two this year as well. Like, they're still not 100% if they're going to have the DH in the National League or whatever yet. But that made some teams really wary about adding players or making trades. Well, two teams have just said, fuck it, over the last few weeks. Uh, the San Diego Padres are going for it. They acquired a guy who won a Cy Young a couple years ago in Blake Snell from Tampa. Literally, they acquired him two months after he started, what, game five of the World Series or whatever for Tampa. So Tampa is just, you know, hey, here's here's one of our best players trade away, which usually happens with their kind of team. It sucks. It's the reality of the situation. You know, they're a lot like the Florida Marlins. They don't have a big fan base. They're at the very, very bottom. Like, they are the bottom of the payroll. Like, here's the thing. Every time I say this, every time I, you know, I ever talk shit about that organization, because, like, here's the thing. I almost would never talk shit about the organization. It's me just saying their inadequacies right like the things that are going wrong it's like they don't have money blah 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 they are the team that everyone aspires to be which is the funny thing right yeah like, they're very they, well run they are it's not they're, they're not well run ross they, they are the thing everyone should be running like they are the thing to aspire to like yeah. you're right you're just you're you're more right than you could ever know um it amazes me it amazes me every year that they make multiple trades because i tell you this right now if i was a gm if i was running a team i would not make a trade with tampa I just would not do it. 90% of the time, the trade is, it looks, you know, okay on paper or like even lopsided. And then it's just always Tampa comes out way ahead. Like always comes out way ahead. You know, this one's going to look good for Padres for a while. We'll see what happens in the next few years for Tampa. This is more of a, uh, you know, futuristic type thing. But San Diego gets Snell and then they go out and trade for you, Darvish, who got, who was second in the Cy Young voting in National League last year. And I thought he was going to win it for quite a while, you know, so. Huge acquisitions for San Diego. Gave up a lot of uh, prospect capital. Took they a have lot Machado, of right? They signed Machado a couple years ago. They do have Machado. So they're Tatis, Machado, these two pitchers. Mm-hmm. They actually, they also uh, last year at the deadline got the best deal. Guess uh, got the best pitcher that was on that was available as well. Mike Clevenger, who's actually very very good. Yeah, but he blew I've his had arm him in out. fantasy. Yeah, but he blew his arm out, so he's going to be gone for the year. So everyone's talking about this, like you know, and and they have a they have a couple of pitchers on the team that are already very good. So they went from like a bottom 15 starting rotation to arguably the best starting rotation in baseball or one of the best starting rotations in baseball, you know, cause they just added to eight, you know, aces. So a lot of big stuff there. And then there was a huge trade this morning that, uh, this one actually worries me a little bit more because it's in my division. The New York, the New York Mets finally made their first big move of the off season. They've, they've already made a big signing this off season, but not like huge, huge, you know, they just signed a very good player that they needed to, that they needed to add, but 
They traded for Francisco Lindor today. Uh, for those of you that are not like in Dr. A, Francisco Lindor is a shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. The Indians are in a similar boat to Tampa in the fact that they don't have a lot of payroll. They can't hold another superstars very much, and you see them kind of deal them away over the over the years. You know, they traded away Corey Kluber, you know, two-time Cy Young winner. They traded away Trevor Bauer a year ago. He won a Cy Young last year. Now they traded away uh, Francisco Lindor. They also added Carlos Carrasco in the deal for the Mets, which, like, no one's really talking about that addition, and the guy's just very, very, very good. But Lindor is, like, a top-ten player in the league. You know, just, like, a middle-of-the-order hitter that plays a premium position in shortstop. I don't know how much longer he can play that position at a premium level. You know, maybe another couple years he'll sit down. I like this deal a lot for both sides. I love it for the Mets if they sign Lindor. That's the big thing is he's he's on an expiring contract and he is going to get paid. Even with the uncertainty, he's the kind of player that will still get paid because he's relatively young and you're you're buying into like more of his what's the words I'm looking for here? Prime more years. of his like yeah, his prime years, like his big time. And I don't think you're going to see as many of the COVID or not, I don't think you were going to see as many of, like, those... You remember when the contracts really got out of hand in, like, the mid-2000s? Like, the mid, like, 2005, like, 2010. There's, like, $100 million deals. Yeah, I mean, the Bayrod deal, like, you know, the, all the, 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 the nine-digit deals, pretty much. The $100 million yeah. deals. I think you're going to see those kind of go away more than they used to. But you'll see more of the mega contracts of the players that, like, yeah, they came up in their 20s. They get to free agency at, like, 25. And you know they're going to be good for another, like, five yeah. years. So, so there's going to be right. a big gap between the Tier 1 and the, the Tier 2 yeah. and 3 guys. Yeah, I think you're going to see a little bit. Instead of all of it coming towards the middle, you're going to see it kind of spaced out a little bit more, right? And, some of that. And, you, and then you'll see maybe bigger annual contracts where, like, someone's like, look, we know you're good, but we can't give you a six-year deal. So how about a four-year deal at a higher rate or a three-year deal at a higher rate. And maybe they'll be in for that because like, oh, what if I'm good for those three years? I can sign another deal, you know, like blah, blah, yes. blah. I can... That's that's the way that the NBA has gone too. They're always signing like, you know, three-year deals instead of, you know, a decade ago, there you saw a lot more longer deals. So like Six, seven, eight-year deals yeah. and stuff, yeah. Both both sides kind of like the optionality. You know, if, if you like the situation you're in in three years, you can re-up, you know, and stay there longer or, or you can move on. And the, the teams like the flexibility too, so... Yeah, baseball is a similar one with that. They do this new one of a lot of the superstars. They give them an opt-out. So they'll give you, like, here's a seven-year deal for X amount. But in year three, if you want, you can just become a free agent. Like, it's it's kind of crazy to me that they, that, like, it's the new thing. The players get it because the teams don't get that end. They can't just be like, oh, in three years, you know, hey, this ain't working out. We're going to just, you know, because in baseball, the money is guaranteed. So if they get rid of you, they still have to pay your ass or whatever. But the player can just be like, well, I had a good three years. I'm still relatively young. Let's do this. Like you saw A-Rod do this. He added his contract. He opted out and just signed the same contract again. You know, literally like the same one. They're like, all right, well, we'll give you 10 years, 300 million. And here's 10 years, 300 million after three years. You know, so you've got a 13 year deal or whatever. You know, you see a lot of players do that. And it's funny because like it just gives the player like so much control. And I'm never totally against that because, you know, from the business end, they kind of have the players by the balls a lot of the times. Yeah. Like the players get the short and the stick more often than not. So I do like seeing the players have some more control. Um, I'm always pro player control. Yeah. Always got to take the side of labor. It's really fun. Yeah. It's really funny when people like talk shit about NFL players for holding out, especially NFL oh, players. Yeah. I'm especially like, because they're the least paid and those the most, you know, physically demanding. Uh, I, to me, if, if I were, you know, a elite level athlete, there is no way I would be trying to play football. Like, I like you. I even if I was, even if I thought I was gonna, that was my best sport for whatever reason. Like 
I just can't imagine wanting to play the sport where your career is the shortest and you make the least amount of money and you do the most damage to your body. My brother and I were actually in a discussion about this the other day because, you know, I, I saw his kids recently and they're getting bigger. You know, he's got two boys and they're, they're both very big for their, for their age. Like they're in the 99th percentile for size. My brother's a big dude. My brother's like just a taller, bigger version of me. He's like six, you know, six, one, six, two, and just like hefty. Right. And he thinks the kids are going to be even bigger because uh, his wife's side of the family is also like, you know, on the larger side. And he was like, yeah, you know, like, you know, one of them loves football already. He's only three. And he's like, he loves football. And I was like, well, you know, Natalie and I, my wife and I talked about this. We're like, we're not letting our kids play football. And he's like, yeah, you know, I've thought about it. And I was like, I think there's an exception where I'd be okay with it. If they were just like, let's say your kid is like six, five and like two eighty and athletic. Yeah. You could play line. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I might be okay with that because like they don't, you know, suffer as many like head injuries, you know? Cause like, yeah, you, you think about it, they, they run into each other every, but like, it's not the same as when you're just getting destroyed by some safety or linebacker, you know, because you have the ball in your hands or something like that. You're not getting as many like catastrophic head injuries. If the kid is just literally built for it, I might be okay with it. It's, it's technically their choice, but at the same time, that might be where I put my foot down on my kids and be like, I want you to be, you know, making decisions for yourself, able to walk and eat correctly at 45. You know? Yeah. No, the, the, it, I, I, I'm honestly surprised. But I, I'm, I haven't looked into it, but I, I've been expecting for the last 10 years a, you know, significant decline in youth football participation. But I guess like, you know, in the in the south and in texas it's just su- such say, a huge part of, of the culture that it's just not going to happen it's literally a way of life here like it's weird when like you know what i mean people are like oh what are you doing for the game saturday what are you doing for the game sunday you know because we have you know college football so big here we have we have we have uh you know high school football friday nights we have uh college football saturday and then we have the nfl on sunday you know it's you know what are you doing with your high school team on friday where are you watching the lsu game and with who and what are you eating on saturday and then you know what are you doing for the saints game on sunday right after church like that's just that's just the way it is here. It's the way of life during football season, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. You know, because we we can talk about the politics and religion aspect attached to that, which we're not going to, and all the things attached to that. Those people they they don't care. Like it doesn't affect them. They don't listen to the studies. They don't read those studies. They don't see that stuff. I care about it. I care about those people's health. I care about my kids' health. I'm not saying you're a bad parent if you do this, but I'm just saying maybe you should read up on it. Get a little more educated on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's let's, just a, it's a calculated risk. You've got to decide whether or not you want to take that risk. I I do. I hope that they're moving towards less contact football for kids. At a you know, I don't think they should be playing tackle football until you know at least they're teenagers. Uh, though I'm sure you know that'll probably take some time as well. But because we know now that it, it's not. I think for a long time they kind of said like oh they're like these you know concussion issues and CTE issues they're just from like the really big hits so we've got to like you know tone that down it really is just from the repeated regular hits and just doing it over and over and over again yeah and it's they, a, it's they, a they have been thing. a conscious effort to tone down the huge hits I will say that they they have they've been doing better with the helmets like the the kick return is just like not really a thing anymore you know like they've almost deleted that from the game that that was it's Kevin Everett that really. So, and it takes like, unfortunately, it takes events like what happened to Kevin Everett for you know change to happen. But all right, let's go ahead and just move into the into the magic talk because we have quite a bit to cover this week, and we got some really cool stuff to cover. Because uh, I don't know if you've been under a rock today or not when it comes to magic, but we had quite a bit of spoiler cards today. Plus, one of the things that I said I thought would happen in the set came to be Ross. I was a prophet. We've got snow again, which, by the way. Before we get into the preview cards, I am going to get pretty mad about this. I'm going to get my soapbox for one second. 
I kind of hate snow in Magic. I think it's I think it's a cool design. It's cool stuff. I hate snow basics because there's actually no downside for it, and I don't want to have to play this because I like my cool basics. Yeah, you know, I'm 100 cool with you there. So I'm I'm honestly this is going to be annoying to me. I also like don't own a ton of snow basics, although now they're going to be dirt cheap because they're going to be printed in a standard in a standard set. They're also Again. like not full art or anything like that. So yeah, it's not yeah. like you know the 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 uh, modern horizons ones or whatever whatever set was called where they came out which you know I have a decent bit of those and you can go find those they're relatively cheap but still having to pay for basics is like when they're not premium you know they're not like beta or like unhinged or something you know or specifically the one you want from Portal Three Kingdoms or something but how I guess you're you're are we not going to take the basic out of packs for limited and you're going to want to take take them in your drafts yeah I don't. Th- think that's gonna happen in this set i'm not 100 percent on that um i don't know how often the the basic is back like because here's the thing in the set we're getting the the, the typical okay so we're this this will be in part of the answer in the set um this was previewed today if you've ever played in the past there's always been um like in the core sets and stuff like that in a few other sets there's been the coming to play tap dual lands right you know, uh, you know, you have a green white when you have a red white when you have a black blue and blah 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 we've we're getting those in these sets with new names because a, they're they're gonna have land types now, like that. That's a big deal. These actually have land types, and there's snow. So like this is pretty big, and the fact that does that replace like are these in every pack? Because we've seen that in the past where the duels there was one in every pack. So that means there's gonna be either a basic or one of these dual lands in every pack. So there's there's enough snow lands to go around, or is it possible you can get, uh, you can just get one of these dual lands as a common in your pack, and then there's a land in every pack. I'm not sure about that yet, because that's yeah. going to have to come up for limited. Did, did you watch the show this morning? What they did about this? I did this? not watch the show. No, no. I al- I also did not. So um, I don't think I was awake in time. Honestly, I slept in today. I I was up really late last night. I've been having a problem sleeping again lately. Yeah. So uh, yeah, not sure how, how that's going to work, but ju- I general like I remember drafting Cold Snap and the like. Snow basics were reasonably high picks. Yeah. If if you were trying to do that, like you 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 took them third, fourth, fifth, something in that range. Um, I've already started to, you know, obviously when I look at these, the way I look at cards, immediately I look at them and then I'm like, oh, that sounds like it's pretty good in standard and modern. These cards are obviously powerful. And then I start thinking about the cards in limited context because I like limited a lot. These these dual lands, I think are going to be like, if, especially if snow matters because we saw a few snow cards today. I think this will be pretty high picks. It's mana fixing plus it's, it's snow. That's a big deal. Yeah, and we've already seen one card uh, preview today that can find them because of the the land types that they have, the the Golgari Saga binding the old gods. If we want to just jump into this one, I guess. But yeah, this d- is a cool card. I like it. This is a Brennan Candio card I've ever seen. One. Go oh ahead. yeah, two, two black green Saga has three chapters. First chapter is destroy target non land permanent and opponent controls. Very. Powerful. This is you know so we're 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 not burying the lead on this card. This is the thing. This is the ability you're really playing the card for. I think not only, obviously, like, you know, nice to have a very generic answer in limited, uh, but in standard, we've seen the standard environment where people are playing the Great Henge and different planeswalkers, as well as creatures that you need to answer. Uh, you know, you can blow up a, a Doom Foretold or a Glass Casket, anything like that. So this versatility, I think, is particularly important with what has been doing well in standard uh, recently. So liking that. Second chapter... Search your library for a forest card, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle your library. So you can find a snow dual land. Actually, we're, we're doing, we're recording this on a Thursday for everyone at home, but we're doing versus live tomorrow on a Friday. 
we pushed it back a day so that we could incorporate today's cards into new decks. And I'm actually playing this in a deck tomorrow. And I'm playing one of the, the gruel uh snow dual land so I can find a red source off of it. Because I'm playing it's a it's a four color Doom Foretold deck, no blue. I'm splashing for uh the the Boros saga. Uh and Yorian and so you can Yorian all these different sagas for cool value and you know, stuff that's like actually, that. That's actually that's really sweet, actually. Like Yorian in this one, when you're like, you know, on the first one, kill something. My turn five, I go find my land. It either find the land that is your fifth mana source for Yorion, or you just go get a duel land on your deck, play your fifth mana source, blink it, kill their thing again. Like, that's actually, like, my mind just got, like... Yeah. The, I just had the little explosion meme. The, the one thing that doesn't quite work is... So you play this on four mana, and you get chapter one. Then chapter two, you get to five mana with its trigger, and then six with your land drop. And uh, your... I guess we, we, it would have to have a fourth chapter. Uh, n- never mind that. I was thinking that like on the on the third chapter, you could, would then be one short of buying a companion and playing Yorian, but you can't blink it on the third chapter anyway. It's going to die. Which, by the way, is creatures you control get death touch until end of turn. Not particularly valuable, um, but you know sometimes it'll come up. I do like this one is like pretty much flipped from your normal ones, where like you know usually it's like increasing power level from one to three, and this one is like decreasing power level. From what they're like, obviously, like the second chapter is cool. It ramps you, it fixes colors. The third chapter is cool. Yeah, it gives your creatures death touch. So you can attack. Obviously, like you said, we're bar- we're not bearing the lead here. The first one is the one you want. So this shows a different kind of saga where you're not having that steady buildup where your opponent might be able to find a way to kill your saga before you get like the the big thing out of it. You know, like Elspeth conquers death before you get something back out of your graveyard, right? You know, uh, you know, it, it, it does accrue some value ahead of time, but generally you can kind of keep up in cards if you kill it. This one, it's like, you're getting the big part up front. Yeah, and that's definitely, that that's something I, I look for a lot now, and especially with Sagas, is because Sagas can have that kind of delayed impact, but immediate impact is always going to be better. I like that here. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in this card. You know, four mana is a steep price, and I'm not sold on how valuable the second and third chapters are. Um, you know, we... Historic, you know, recently in standard, we've seen decks that can use lots of mana going long, which like, and you know, playing this on turn four and getting the mana on turn five is not that long into the game. So I think there's something there. The third chapter is worth very little to me, but blinking with Yorian when you really want to be using the, the first two chapters anyway, uh, when you're blinking. So that, that's really nice. So I do like it quite a bit with Yorian. And I think it, that synergy. Uh, and the versatility of the first chapter as a removal spell is, is going to make this card a solid role player. Yeah, Absinthe are like already a deck that we've seen pop up here or there at, like a, at a decent rate from time to time. And this is a card that, you know, just kind of fits its way right in. Um, I'll just say, uh, what card do you want to talk about next? There's a, there's a lot to choose from to talk about today. So, yeah, we, we've got a, quite a few cards. Actually, my favorite, and this might be surprising because it is a, it's more of a you card than a me card. Uh, but I, I like it a lot, is Behold the Multiverse. This is sort of the uh, new updated Glimmer of Genius. I, I love the name, by the way. I lo- love the name of this card. But yeah, this card, uh, I love this card. Yeah, I you know this is, it's three in a blue instant, scry two, then draw two. So, you know, same effect, instead of getting that energy that you got with Glimmer, it has Fortell, which is one of the new mechanics from Call Time. Essentially, Fortell, it, it I want to, it's sort of like morph for spells. It's layaway. 
Yeah. You get to put it on layaway. See, you pay two during your turn, but it, it says during your turn, but but it doesn't say only at sorcery speed. So you can respond to something if it, as long as it's your turn by foretelling. And you, you pay two and you exile the card face down. So your opponent you know, maybe doesn't know what it is. Uh, we saw if if you were around when Morph was was in standard, they generally always knew what it was and constructed. In limited, you know, it, it could be a lot of things. So it was it was more fun in limited in the in that regard. But it gets exiled face down, and then you get to cast the card later for its foretell cost, which is generally a little little bit cheaper. In this case, the foretell cost is a colorless and a blue. So over the paying the two and then paying the foretell cost, you're paying the same amount three colorless and a blue. So th- this is just extra optionality at no additional cost. Which is already something I like. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, yeah, I think this card's great. But uh, the the thing I like about it is, I think it fits really well into the natural curve that Wizards has built into reactive control decks uh, in the last four or five years. I think we've talked about it many times. How they they tend to have you know uh, some two man interaction that's much that's quite narrow. Things like essence scatter, negate, cheaper removal spells. Then three-man interaction that's pretty wide-ranging. You know, Heroes Non-Fall, Swift End, uh, you know, Neutralize, and the, the, any cycle of, like, Cancel Plus kind of uh, effects. And then the four-mana is where their card advantage usually lies on the curve. And that's where this is, too. And the, uh, when you're playing against those kinds of control decks, you often want it to not do anything of, of substance on turn three and then start hammering them on turn four. Because then they they you would often leave them unable to use their mana on turn three, and then they wouldn't be able to find a, a safe place to land their their uh, card draw spell. What behold the multiverse lets you do is interact on those first couple turns if if your opponent if you need to, and then on turn four you foretell this with a two piece of two mana interaction up, and then cast it on turn five with a piece of three mana interaction up. So there's never a turn, uh, you know. I t- obviously like your draw needs to come together in, in that respect as well. But in your ideal curves now, there's never a turn that you have to spend entirely on drawing cards. So you're literally interacting at every point on the curve and still getting your your card draw. In. It's it's great. You, you you nailed it right on the head, and and that's where I was going to go with this is the fact that I can see myself casting this for four mana, but not very often, right? I see myself just foretelling this quite a bit. Because you can kind of fit into your curve wherever you want. Like you said, you know, in turns four, five, and six, like you can fit it in, still have other stuff to do, lots of cool stuff. Um, I love this card. I like actually love this card. I think this common is going to be a very high pick and limited. Um, it's going to be sweet. So you, you talked about, you know, in, in the past, draft formats of Morph. Go ahead. I just think Fortel is really good and limited. Just turn to, especially in Sealed. Like, I think your best two drop is going to be foretelling a spell. <laughs> so that's what I was going to say. Is like, you know, in the past, I, I think of, you know, when I drafted, yes, I'm this old, I drafted like Onslaught Legions and stuff like that, or uh, the other, the, or the Morph sets. On turn three, you're, yeah, on turn three, your opponent morphed a creature. Like, that's just, that's just the way the format was. Like, on turn three, your opponent's playing a face down card for, for, for three, and it's going to be a two, two, like 80 something percent of the time. Imagine. I foresee myself, you see, you can see what I'm doing here. I I, <laughs> I I foretell that in the future here, especially when I'm playing a lot of limited, that I am going to be on turn twoing playing a face down card a lot in this format because I think foretell is very very good. Flexibility is huge within your deck. So far, we haven't seen a lot of the two drops, but we haven't seen you know commons yet for like the limited format or whatever. But I have a feeling that I'm gonna be really mad. In a lot of games where I feel like I'm going to lose from turn two and have to play the game out for the six turns, where on turn two, I'm going to pass and my opponent's going to foretell something on their turn two. And I'll be like, well, I probably lost now. 
you know, because like they're going to get a better rate later down the line. And I'm yeah, they're going to like double spell in turn five. Yeah, with something and in in limited, it's a lot like constructed too. But in limited, generally the first person to double spell in a turn is way ahead in the game because they're going to be doing multiple things. You know, obviously. So I mean, we could talk about this card all night, but I think the biggest thing that that hits for me is is what you said about the fact that on turn four, here's the, here's the great thing: like you can foretell it on turn four and leave up two mana interaction of some kind, heartless act, essence scatter, negate, like whatever. And you still get to do it if you want at the end of their turn for the same amount of mana. Like, that's what blew my mind when I first saw it. I was like, wait a minute, it still only costs four. Yeah, a lot of the other Fortel cards, like, the cost is one less, but you pay two. So you're paying one more overall, but it's split. Here, yeah, you're like, it's just you're the same. Full, yeah, you're paying normal retail. Yeah, and, it, you know, when you're when you're talking about playing a reactive control deck, one of the really difficult things is you have to sequence in a way like you have to sequence in a way where you're trading at all the right spots and then drawing cards in the right spots because your counter spells aren't answering permanents that are already on the battlefield. They have a timing restriction as to when, you know, they're useful. And so much of beating those decks is manipulating their mana, forcing them to tap mana when they don't want to, and either leaving them with a draw spell while you resolve a key threat that wins the game, or leaving them with the wrong answer because you forced them to use a different one earlier. And so this level of optionality lets you have a lot more control over how you sequence and how the game plays out, and leaves a lot less opportunity for your opponent to manipulate the game and get themselves into one of those spots where they kind of sneak a, a threat through while you were tapped down because you had to cast, you know, your chemistry's inside or whatever. Yeah, you make a great point. Like I remember watching Standard a lot when we were playing the team events, and Brendan DeCandio would like always. He would like. I remember he would have like a good spell to play on turn three or whatever, and he would just, like, pass or do something else and wait till turn four against the control decks, because he's like, yeah, they just, like, always have either a removal spell or a counter spell. He's like, I can wait till turn four to make them have the... Because they're not going to do anything proactive if I don't do something. But he's like, I would wait till turn four because now they want to cast Glimmer of Genius, right? Like, they want to cast their four-mana draw spell, so now making them, like, play off curve and, like, you know, making them have to play weird, and it would just it would just time-walk them in the way that he played. I remember watching him play, and I, like, learned so much from it that I was just like, this is... Such a small thing, but I would have never figured this out without playing like hundreds of games. You know what I mean? Like just so many games and maybe I figured it out and he just like instinctively knew and stuff. And this kind of card just shits on that play line from its opponent. Like it's got like, yeah, LOL, good, good, good luck. You know, I can still do all these things or whatever. So I don't want to spend too much time on this card, but I'm going to be like first picking this at some point in time during limited. I'm going to play this set a lot because this set looks sweet. The common I think you're going to be first picking is the one of the other Fortel cards. Which but, one is that? The green so, one? Yeah. Because it, I it think looks, this is a. So this is what we like to joke about. And someone's talking about this on Twitter today. We joke about this as mythic commons. Yeah. I think it limited. was. Uh, was it Ellen Bogan? Ellen Bogan, yes, yeah, says it. But like this is this is a phrase we've been using since like one of the first times I heard it. There was. Uh, what was it? The, the first set with. Uh, like Phyrexian mana, one of the one of the Phyrexian sets, and um, in it there was a card that was like it was like a five five for like five and a green or whatever. It's like whenever an artifact dies, anywhere. Oh, M- Mirrodin besieged. You're talking about yeah. Fangren Mauler, something like that. And you Fangren... just gain five life or whatever. Yeah, and that card was just unfucking beatable as a common. <laughs> I have I have a good story about that card actually. Sure, sure. I was uh I was at the local store and we dra- we decided to draft uh besieged besieged scars instead of the other way around which was the okay. the norm at the time because we just wanted more experience playing with the new cards and we're like yeah it'll it skew the format a little bit but we just want to play the new cards mm-hmm. um and i 
I ended up with a deck that had six of those, which was a little weird because they're caught their six drops, but the format was like a little slowish. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll play, we'll play with it. And, um, I was playing one of the games and it was team draft and, uh, are the boards are getting really big. I have two of these out and, um, and there, you know, there's like eight creatures on either side or whatever. And my opponent casts the Wrath of God from that set, which, uh, destroyed all creatures. And then you got an XX where X was the number of creatures destroyed that way, like an, an artifact creature token. Uh, and, and, but I gained 90 life because there were 10 artifact creatures in play and the two frame rolls. So I, I had 90 something life, but he had like a, he had like, you know, 12, 12, 15, 15, some ridiculous thing. But I had, I just had a, a, um, the bounce spell, the one that, that either countered an artifact or bounced an artifact for one blue, the a common. Null or something like that. The, the, no, the, no, the, countered an artifact or enchantment. Yeah. This still sabotage. Steel it's still sabotage. sabotage. Is also very good. So I just immediately bounced the token. And so now, like, I have 90 something life and he had fewer cards in his library, or, but I had fewer cards in my library and we were going to go to decking and I'm sitting there comp- confident playing the game. And my friend's like, you're going to deck first. Like you can't kill me because he had a pretty good board, but there's no way he's going to deal me enough damage. And I, I drew my next card and I, I was like, okay, show you the green sense unit that's in my pool. <laughs> I'm not going to deck first. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll loop it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's actually really sweet. So the, the, the joke is that there, there's commons that like, you we call them mythics because you never see them in packs because no one ever passes them because they're that yeah. good of a common. And the Renegade Freighter to. was kind of like that in Kaladesh because it was colorless yeah. and went and was insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the is it Sarulf? Rolf? Yeah, that's how I've been pronouncing Sarulf it. Packmate. It might be Sarulf. So, Maybe yeah, you express so the first syllable. I don't know. Yeah, it's three and a green for a three three. It's a wolf. Uh, but when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. So it's already like a pretty decent good. Like this is a very good card in limit. It's just a three three for four draw a card. Yeah, that would that would already be a, a high pick, I think, in in most formats. But it has just foretell for one and a green. So on turn four, if you want, you can like foretell and play this if you have you know foretell matters cards because there's going to be something in the set. Like there's going to yeah. be something in the set like like uh, when you Roots cast a card from exile, do something. Yeah. yeah, that'll be that'll be an uncommon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll be an uncommon. It'll be a build around me card. But yeah, the fact that on turn two you can just foretell this, and then on turn three you can just cast a three three for two mana and draw a card, or on turn four you can play this for its foretell cost, foretell another card, you know, to set up your next turn to start double spelling and it's replacing itself. I do not see myself passing this card if I can cast it very often. Yeah. I I hope that whatever that enchantment is that keys off of Fortell costs three mana. So you get to go turn two, Fortell, turn three, play it, turn four, start going. And and yeah, the the funny thing to me is looking at it compared with the other uh, similar common that was previewed, which is Augury Raven. So, you know, same stats, three and a blue, three, three, has Fortell for colorless and blue instead of colorless and a green, and just has flying. Yeah. Which, like, I think would make sense. Like, it, it sort of points to a cycle. Like, maybe that there's, you know, hill giants with foretell in each color. But then, how do you think, like, oh, the green ones just draw a card. All the other ones are just going to have keyword abilities. Like, red one's yeah. going to have, like, haste. Uh, and, you know, the white one's going to have first strike or, like, gain two life when it enters the battlefield. You're just like, the green one just draws a card. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, one of them's definitely better than the other. And like the blue ones, like a scoff at. Like this is this is still this is still, a, like this is still a good card in limited. You know what I mean? Like a three three flyer for four is still a good card in limited. You know, and it has just pure upside on it. So all these cards are really sweet and cool, and I'm very interested to attack this limited format because here's the thing: as much as we've shit on wizards lately, and like the way these formats have been the last few years for standard and pioneer and modern, like you know we've had a lot of bannings. 
I think we're in like an unprecedented time of just how good most of these limited formats have been back to back to back to back to back. Like all of the limited formats for pretty much the last two or three years have been bangers. I don't think I've played a non-cube limited format mm-hmm. since the MCN London. You're, you're missing out. The, the formats have been very, very good. Like, um, Which I've was been War of the Spark. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Zendikar again lately, and if you just take the card Rooster Drakes out of the format, I think the format's just, like, absurdly good because the format's insanely deep and rich. And, like, you have to make a lot of weird choices deck-building-wise, trading-wise, and attacking-wise that you wouldn't have to make in normal games because of party. You know what I mean? Like, it's just an actual thing that, like, matters more. That's like, well, I don't really want to trade off my wizard here because, like, I need this third-party member. And, like, you know, just, like, little just, things it, like it's that. It's another variable in the, the equation of how you value the threats that are on the battlefield. Yeah. And I have a feeling that this format, while not having party in it, obviously, is going to have that kind of depth to it with, like, foretell and how you how you uh, arrange your curve in a lot of games. Yeah, I think it's it's not, not only going to challenge you in how you sequence, and I think players who just sort of optimize, uh, figure out that optimization problem more readily are going to be advantaged, but I think it's ultimately going to change how you build your decks so that you can more easily sequence around the powerful foretell cards. So you're going to see... Like, I think you're going to see most, like, mediocre two-drops really devalued, because you, there, any two-drop that's worse than just foretelling something, but the two-drops that are better than foretelling something, they increase in value even more than they would be. So you're going to see a polarization of two-drops in the, the way you evaluate the limited format, and then you're going to see, like, you know, it depends on where the foretell cards go. Like, the, these are mostly four-drops, but you foretell them for two. Like, it, it's it's going to depend on how you can double-spell with the foretell creatures. So maybe you actually do want more twos so that you can foretell on turn four because that's where these four drops are going. That might so that might change that. It, I'll, it's something I have to see the entire set to really grasp. But that, like you're going to want to think about how foretell is going to change how you build your limited decks. 100% agree with you, and it kind of leads me to the next card I want to talk about because here's something that I think I'm going to be drafting in this format is if the two drop is the one, two, and three drops are good enough aggressive wise in like the red decks then I think cards like Frostbite might be really good. And so Frostbite is a one mana, and this is a snow instant. Yeah, you heard me right. This is an instant. It's a snow card. It's a one red mana instant that deals two damage to a creature or Planeswalker, but if you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three instead. And why I think this is important is, like, if we have enough snow permanents, this is just going to be bolt and limited most often, right? Like, you're going to have a few, you know, snow creatures, a few snow uh, lands, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But let's say that, you know, the aggressive cards don't foretell as much, right? You might have a few of them. And foretell really is as important in this format as you and I think about in limited, and even maybe in constructed. It's going to be important that when you play a two drop, when you play a three drop on turn four, you need to be able to remove their blocker and probably still do something proactive. So having a card that is one mana that can deal three damage to like because it's going to probably kill all of the cycle of these cards we talked about. We talked about the green and the blue one yeah. of these hill giants for four. You know, of being able to kill that plus do something or foretell yourself. That is a big deal. In this format, because if the aggressive decks are going to be good enough, that's what needs to happen. Otherwise, all the format's going to be is we start playing on turn four. Yeah, it's just, it's going to be a huge grind fest. Yeah, and those formats are not exactly great when you have to sit there and play, you know, 15 turns in every game. Yeah, that, that stuff is uh, good in moderation. Though, uh, I will say, that's the only snow card we see from this first batch, other than the lands. So, I think it's going to be tough to consistently have three snow permanents. Well, in a game we, of limited. Yeah, we have another snow sorcery that got previewed today as well. I don't know if you saw this, the Black Wrath. Oh, I did not see that. Okay. 
Yeah, that's a I'm going to read this one off. This one's Blood on the Snow. Love the flavor of this. Uh, it's six mana. It's four black, black. And uh, you get to choose one. Destroy all creatures or destroy all planeswalkers. So let's be real. It's going to be creatures a lot of times, especially in like standard and stuff, but whatever. Um, here's the cool part it says, then return a creature or planeswalker card with converting mana cost X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the amount of snow spent to cast this spell. So this is a pretty cool card. Uh, six mana is a lot. You know, it needs to have a big effect, but the fact that you can pay six mana, you know, use three or four snow mana, be like, hey, destroy your creatures, I'll get back my my Planeswalker, or I'll get back this creature, you know, kind of thing. You know, something that's either in play or traded earlier or done something earlier. This 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 is a card that, if the format slow down in standard, could be a player as like a two or three of in some of the control decks, because this is a, a big, this, yeah, this so swings a big board swing. quite a bit. I, I see that uh, being really good in like mid-range mirrors almost. You start falling yeah. behind a little bit. You've probably got some stuff, but not nearly as much as them. And then like what was it? You, you generate Blast value or whatever in the past where you get to kill every creature but one. And you're like, yeah, I just have the one thing left over. You Here know? you get to re-trigger Entrance of the Battlefield abilities. If that's mm-hmm. uh, a thing, you know, you can get, return. Get a Yorion. You know, it's Yorion or Sky, uh, Skyclave Apparition. But Something, getting Planeswalkers yeah. is nice. I'm glad that that card is not existing in the same form as Narset. Uh, Parter of Veils, that would be a really good one to get back, uh, you know, on a clean battlefield. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like turn three, the person like plays an R-set mindset, shows you blood on the snow, and I'd be like, I'd be like, and if they already had snow lands, I'd be like, show me three more lands, and I would do that, like, <laughs> go to the next game. And we're done. <laughs> and we're done. Yeah, we'll go to the next game, yeah, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I'm going to say it again at the end when we kind of like wrap this up. I'm loving the flavor of this set so far and the look and the feel of all this. The art is amazing. The names on the cards amazing. Uh, hopefully Snow is not too busted. I would like to see something in the set that uh, is like anti-Snow. You know, like you, you know, uh, a creature that gets plus one plus zero for every Snow land you have or a non-basic Snow land you have or something. You know what I mean? Just something. Because, yeah. like, I don't want it to be a free roll and constructed. I don't want it to just be a free roll at all times, like it has been in the past. And I want it to, like, kind of, you know, I want there to be a cost. Which, l- l- let's hope there is. We haven't seen it yet, so. Can we can we get, like, a snow blood moon? Just, like, turn all snow lands into, into mountains or... Frost moon? Something yeah, like that, like, whatever. Moon. Yeah. So, so, uh, like, w- winter moon. You know, something, I don't know. Actually... Uh, I guess that, yeah, p- people just aren't playing a ton of Snowlands because Astrolabe's gone and modern. But like, I wonder if that would be like better than Blood Moon and Legacy. Yeah, just straight up kills the 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 blue soup decks. Yeah, like the Delver decks just bring that in against them because they're just playing dual lands and, and fetches. Yeah, but then just fetch for their dual lands and like they could still win off like three or four. It's annoying. Anyway, yeah, oh, it's 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 horrible. But yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely with you there. I do not want Snow just be a free roll. I, you know, I want there to be a cost. So hopefully we see some, some Punisher cards, maybe, you know, a, a good sort of stone rain effect that only hits snow lands or, you know, so some, something, there's gotta be something, mm-hmm. <laughs> please. Yeah. Uh, what's the next one you want to talk about? Uh, why don't we go into the, the heavy hitters and hit the planeswalkers seeing as we've covered, we've covered a bunch of draft commons. So we might as well do the mythic rares. The, the, we got two of those today and boy, are they interesting. Yeah, very definitely not not typical planeswalkers, and yeah. so it, it's Which very nice, clear that that Watsi is doing a lot to get out of that old mold that a lot of planeswalkers fell yeah. into. They they have broken out of that rut. Um, and Quite a bit. Yeah, let's start with uh, let's start with the simpler one, the one that only has one one side. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that is Nico Aris, I guess is the name. The sure. way you pronounce this. 
It's uh, X, white, blue, blue. So immediately I was kind of intrigued when I see this because I just think of Sphinx Revelation when I see yeah. this cosmic X, white, blue, blue. It starts with uh, three loyalty. <laughs> the last time um, I paid this amount of mana for a spell, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these have static abilities too. So this one has a static ability. It says when it enters the battlefield, uh, it's, it's, an X, it's an X static ability, so it matters if you pay the extra. When it enters the battlefield, create X shard tokens. What are shard tokens? I'll tell you. They are enchantments which say two, sacrifice this enchantment, scry one, draw a card. So it's kind of like uh, a clue, sort of, but like it's an enchantment, not an artifact, because there are some enchantment matters stuff or whatever. This is pretty cool. Anyway, uh, it has a plus one. It says up to one target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. Whenever that creature deals damage this turn, return it to its owner's hand. That's a, that's a weird one for me. This is the one that like, it's interesting. It's minus one is uh, this deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you've drawn this turn. And then minus one, create a shard token, which we talked about. I'm going to go on a limb here because here's the thing. I think this card has some very high variance to it. I think it might be very good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, this is a this is a card that I'm I'm not immediately high on it because it is so just so weird. It's very um, strange. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but it, it, so it's a card that I, ultimately it, it's one of these kind of wait and see cards for me. But if you you know gun to my head, I think this card is good because the it, it generates immediate value. So you don't need the abilities to be like overly absurd. But if it lands on a dry board, you know it's going to create just more shard tokens. Though you know th- there is some diminishing returns to like how many of those you have on the battlefield. It's an absurd draw in late game scenarios yes. because it's an X spell. You know, when you cast it on, let's say you cast it on, you know, just you can cast it just on turn three for X equals zero, not get a shard, but then you have a three mana planeswalker that starts on three and, you know, starts doing cool stuff. You know, you can shock something that turn. You can like shock a, a, a creature uh, that yeah, attacks yeah, you, you, you know. Yeah. So the like you know against an aggro deck you played on turn three uh, and you know kill a creature that attacked early and then maybe like get a shard token out of it and then they attack it so it killed a, killed an early creature gained a little bit of life got you a shard token that's a pretty good rate you know I'm thinking of casting it at four five six mana in those ranges and you know you get a bunch of shard tokens and you can maybe kill something bigger uh, if you, you know untap you know crack a, a shard token then minus kill something for four damage I think that plus one. Like, you know, on your creatures helps you attack opposing planeswalkers and reuse ETB effects. You know, target your Skyclave apparition, give them a 2-2, get another thing out of the way. You know, stuff like that. Uh, there's, a, there's so much going on here that it's really hard for me to, to have a firm overall evaluation of the card. But I like cards where there's a lot going on. That's usually That's usually a good sign. Because it usually means that when I play with the card, I'm going to find different scenarios where it's useful and different ways to play with it that I didn't anticipate. So that's kind of what I expect with this card. I expect the unexpected. (laughs) It also comes down to how good shard tokens are going to be. And I have a feeling they're going to be good. Because here's the thing. We're seeing a lot of reasons to have two mana up in this format with, you know, our removal and counter spells being at some of them being at two and being uh, relevant. But it also works really well for tell cost too, like leaving up the extra mana that you've been, you know, sinking into your stuff. So we'll have to see. Um, I'm excited about this card. I'm, you know, ready to watch to see if it's going to be, it could be really bad Ross. I think there's a chance this card's unplayable. I think there's a chance this card's going to be good. Um, I see it more in maybe, you know, kind of a, a banty creature deck 
it could possibly be like a one of and some or two of and some of the blue white control. Like it just depends on what the format looks like. You yeah, know, that kind of stuff. So I I am also now looking at the Theros Beyond Death card list to see if there's there there's some weird constellation card that you can play with this and get like a ton of oh, synergies uh, out of it. It's the 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 Archon. The, the the three five flyer or whatever that whenever an enchantment comes to play it makes a two two flyer with life yeah there you go archon of suns archon of suns this card. turn yeah, four archon, archon turn five three, this like... make two two twos and then you make yeah. another shard token to make a third two two yeah and then they're dead like, oh, good, good luck yeah good luck <laughs> good luck aggro deck okay um, <laughs> i mean they probably yeah. could win anyway if they didn't kill your sons Ar- sons archon of sons grace or whatever but still all right do you want to move over to the uh the next planeswalkers this one's pretty cool this is a throwback to a planeswalker that has been in magic before we're getting a yeah. new one, but it's also a dual-sided Planeswalker, so I'm going to slow roll this one a little bit. I'm going to read the, the front side first, okay? So the front side is uh, Valky. I'm sure. guessing Valky, God of Lies, one in a black for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they revealed this way until Valky leaves play. Um, and then you can pay X, choose a creature card, exile to Valky with Cavernicus X... And Valkyrie becomes a copy of that card. So, interesting stuff there. I'm usually not super into cards like this. You know, this doesn't just jump off the page. Though, I will say this. It is a two-mana card. It's a two-mana 2-1. Two, then when it comes into play... It's also a god, by the way, so this might matter. Um, we've seen that the gods have two sides in, in this in this so, so far. So, there's going to be a god in every color, I assume, that are, that are transformed. Because we've seen the white one. Um, it does take a card out of your opponent's hand, if they have a creature, early. It's a 2-1 for two. Not horrible. Um, you know, it's not like Gonti in the past or whatever like that, where the card stays even when the creature goes away. So cool stuff. You can play it early here. Some cool stuff. I think you're going to be seeing some people really want the other end of this card though. And it's, it's a character that's been in magic before and it's trying to get a redemption arc because the first time around didn't go so well. This character, <laughs> And that's, uh, that's Tybalt. This is Tybalt, the cosmic imposter. And so, uh, this is an expensive planeswalker on the back end. It's five black red. Alright? Starts with five loyalty. It also is a static. But the static is when it comes into play. It's like the last one. As it enters the battlefield, you get an emblem. So it just emblems right away. It says, you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color. Right? So it has that cool thing that black and red has been having lately where if they steal a card from you, they can just cast it. Whatever. Um, again, starts with five loyalty for seven. It has a plus two. Excel the top card of each player's library, so immediately you're getting the like you're getting a lot of value here because the emblem means you could play these cards. Yeah, effectively drawing two cards. Right. Effectively and, two cards. and it says play, not cast, so you can play lands with so you can it. Play lands. Um, I, I I love all these abilities. So you're gonna see why this card is so expensive. Uh, it has a minus three. It's just exile artifact or creature, so hugely powerful, right? In fact, you get to exile some some thing, and then that's yours now, right? And you just got this emblem that says you could do it at any time. So it's it's not like in the pack pass of like Fiend Hunter or whatever, where like they like get a chance to take it. No, no, that's yours. That is mine now. And then it's got a minus eight. It says exile all cards from graveyards, from all graveyards, add three red. Add, the add three red is interesting. I'm like, I wonder when that got added on. Some way they probably made some like combo ish kind of thing, but exiling all cards from all graveyards is cool because you just drew 15 cards or whatever doing that. And it doesn't affect your hand size either. So. All the cards that are exiled to Tybalt this way, you can now play them. So you just get to Yawgmoth's Will, your opponent's graveyard, and yours forever. Because that emblem is there. So if games are remotely close and you land this on turn 7, I don't see you losing from this card. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you look at that first ability and it reads a lot like the Chandra, like, you know, uh, red ability where you, you know, you can only do it that turn, but because it's an emblem and, uh, you're going to be able to do it, you know, regardless, even if the Tybalt dies, you know, if they swift ended or whatever, you're, you still have the emblem there. You get to untap and cat, you know, play those two cards if you want to. Um, so you're guaranteed two cards of value just from the plus two or re- removing a key permanent. It exiles, you know, Croxas or things that need to get exiled. You know, obviously just a really, really powerful planeswalker. And that's why it costs seven mana. If, if this card just existed as is, as a standalone, I, it would be borderline to me just because it costs seven. But I love that it's being paired with a, a creature that is good early. So you have that dichotomy. When it's in your opening hand, you're probably casting Valky. When it's, you know, when you draw it late, it's awesome. So that lets you, you know, really control the diminishing returns that exist on both copies of these cards because Valky's not good late and Tybalt's not good early. So they really do cover each other well. I've talked about that multiple times about being important when evaluating double face cards. I think this card is great. I'm, yeah. And I think Valky is also quite good, though it's num- the, I think there's a pretty clear card that it was targeting <laughs> when they, when they devised it. And that is Uro, which is no longer in standard because going turn two, exile that Uro so you don't get access to it. Turn three, activate Valky. I have an Uro attack you trigger. Yeah. Is just <laughs> game over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that would be absurd, obviously. Um, yeah. You can still do it to opposing Croxus, which is still pretty awesome. <laughs> Also, I, I like this card a lot because it's, it's in a it's in black red, right? So like if you're playing this on a black red deck uh, or a Grixis deck or whatever, you know, um, you know, you add greenness, whatever. There's got to be some way to get some value out of this even after it dies because you could play it early as Valky. It's probably going to trade or get killed in some way. There's got to be a card that you return to Planeswalkers or uh, you have, probably have to return a creature, right? Because it's it's always the front side up. It's always yeah, Valky. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. If you blinked it or whatever, it'd come back as Valky. Yeah, so so cool stuff there. So like, if it goes to the graveyard, and you have something that returns creatures in some way, then you can get a lot of you know extra value out of that late, where you're like, oh, return this creature to my hand, cast yeah, it. Yeah, Academy's Awakening, and or uh, I guess you have to return it to your hand. It yeah. returns to your hand. Yeah, you can't return it to play. So, um, but still, cool stuff that you can do here. Cards really abusable. Fits well in the curves. It's a two drop and a seven drop. So you can you know you can play all the way through there if you're playing like a mid range deck or even a control deck because again, blocks early, wins the game late, right? So yeah. Exactly the kind of card you want in a, in a deck. I think they're doing a very good job on some of these flip cards where they're super flexible, which is what you want, right? You know, you want these cards to be good early, good late, you know, and some some interesting play lines in between. So I actually love this card. I think it's very good. I think this is in the early front running of like one of the coolest and best cards that we've seen in the set so far. So yeah, I, it would like be my one. pick for best that I've seen mm-hmm. so far for sure. Just because I, I think if you cast the seven mana card, I, I just I find it very hard to lose. Yeah. And the the two mana, I, I I think the two mana side is really good. Most of the time, when you see an effect like this, the body is not going to be that aggressive. Like acquisition of the expert is a one two, uh, kite self rebooter was one two. Like this is has two power. You know, it's going to chunk like, chunk in for some damage against control decks. The the major control deck in this format plays a, a decent number of creatures. You know, and it exiles you know the 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 rogues, so they can't you know rebuy them with Luris or or Agnim's Awakening like they like to do. Uh, you know with the there there's I'm sure there's a, it's going to do a lot of weird stuff just co- like you know becoming copies of stuff like this is a card that can be effective at two mana on turn two on like turn five or six you might exile a, a decent threat and immediately copy it so you use all your mana and then turn seven on seven mana on 
Like you're using all your mana playing Tybalt. So it really fits like every spot on the curve. I think it's above rate at a lot of different spots on the curve. The seven drop can, you know, can win a game by itself. The it's, there is really, there's nothing bad to say about it. the card is just great. If, if, when I look at this card, I, I almost see, I get the same reaction I got when I saw uh, Gideon ally of Zendikar. Like there's just no bad parts of this card and every part yeah, of it is good. Yeah. 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 Can you imagine just like playing Tybalt and like exiling a Yorion from your opponent? So then you're like, all right, next turn, like activate my Tybalt, play the Yorion, flip, flip my Tybalt plus possibly other things. You know, like I, I'm just imagining the things to do with this card, and I'm, I'm super excited and looking forward to it. Quite yeah, a bit. there's there's so much. I, I there I guess like Elspeth conquers death, like might rein in Tybalt to some extent, but like you're still you still drew two cards off of it or killed a key thing. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, the card I want to talk about next, this one kind of fits into some 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 decks that are already getting played quite a bit. Uh, it kind of you know continues where you can see where w- Wizards wants to go with this color pie. But have you seen the old growth troll? I actually think this card is pretty sweet. The uh, triple green yeah, card. Yeah, I, ha- I have seen this one, and I, I also right. like so, it quite a bit. Yeah, so re- this one reads really powerful for everybody at home. It's old growth troll. It's green, green, green for a 4-4 four, four trampler. Uh, when it dies, if it was a creature, return it to the battlefield. It's an aura enchantment with Enchant Forest you control. And it says, Enchanted Forest has tap, add green, green, and one tap it, sacrifice this land, create a tapped 4-4 green troll warrior trample. So this card is, like, there's no downside whatsoever to this card. This card is great. It's a 4-4 trampler for three, right? I think that's good. Don't get me wrong. I think it's good. I don't think it's game breaking in a lot of like green mono green stompy decks. This card would be really, really good. You know, we've seen five fours with evasion for green, green, green in the past that were good enough at times. So this is great. Here's what makes this card so good is it's effectively two copies of this card, right? Like when you play it, if they kill it, you enchant your forest later, you can pay one sacrifice your land and make another four, four, right? And you know, you just have another copy of this card or it ramps you. So the next turn, your land now taps for two instead of one. So now you're, like, moving into your five and six drops a lot sooner or your X spells because, like, uh, what is it? Primal Might gets played quite a yep. bit in the green stompy decks. Uh, it ramps you into Troll King if that's, like, what you're doing along these things. Vivian. Vivian, like, all that sure. kind of stuff. So this is a card that is going to be good against the creature decks because you're playing a 4-4 four, four Trampler for, th- for three to, like, block and attack very well. Against the control decks, it's creating card advantage and ramping out your bigger, more uh, expensive stuff. And then in, the like, the mirrorish mid-range matchups, again, just another big body, you're ramping out your stuff. There's not a lot... Like, what do you what do you not like about this card? You know what I mean? Like, what's not to like? So there's a... Uh, I don't like playing against planes with this card because they have Glass Casket and ECD. And so that... Uh, so... When, when you're talking about a creature that gets, you know, basically all of its value out of, you know, attacking and blocking, uh, you you want to line up well against the removal that's in the format. And this card lines up really well against black and red removal and even green removal. Like if they kill it, you know, it's usually going to the graveyard. Um, so the the only question is how much white removal is there in the format. Um, but when the card that you're going to compare this to for standard right now is Yorvo, which... Honestly, like, wasn't even that good in the mono green aggro decks, right? Because it was just a kind of a big idiot. They uh, played like one. You know, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, you saw lists with it, but a lot, a lot of times you saw them without. Like, it was not a state. Like, you would think a card like Yorvo is a staple in mono green aggro, but that's just ultimately where we are in Magic these days. Like, the the only way that those creatures see play is if they match up really well against the removal. So I imagine like Yorvo was good when people were playing a lot of scorching dragon fires, right? 
Um, and this this card is going to be the same, but it is better against a larger range of removal. You know, Yorvo beat Heartless Act, but not Eliminate. This beats both. You know, pr- pretty well. Like that, you're fine. You're fine with that trade. So I do like this card. Uh, it's also not a legend like Yorvo was, so like you don't have that downside. Uh, it's a it's a warrior for party. Right, warrior is one of them. I didn't even take a look at that. Honestly, it is a troll warrior. That's a, that's another thing that could possibly be be relevant. Yeah. So uh, so I, I'm I'm in for this card. I, I like Yorvo was sort of borderline, and this card I think is is a step up from there. I don't think it's going to be a world beater. It does read really really well, uh, but it is going to be pretty bad in meta games where there's a lot of class caskets and ECDs. And but that's the only time it's going to be bad. Yeah. If you like casting green creatures and attacking your opponent, I'm talking to you, Cedric Phillips. This, this is a card for you. Yes. This is a card that, you know, can fit into a deck that's already existing in the format. I think it's I think it's good enough. Like you said, it's not, it's not. oh my god, this puts the, the deck over the top. But this is another solid role player in a deck that's just good. Because it's going to, like you said, line up really well against most of the format. So, uh, big fan of this card. Yeah, this is the kind of, it's good enough where it's good in all but the worst of metagames. Instead of only being good in all, only being good in the best meta, of metagames for it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, 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 it's good enough that it doesn't need a good metagame to be playable. So you just have to watch out for the those pesky white removal spells. But the, this yeah. this is a nice one. I especially like ramping straight to Vivian because it's really really annoying with Vivian to like miss your fifth line drop. And the Green Aggro decks did that quite a bit. They only play like twenty five. Yeah, so lots of stuff to like about this. And it, you know, like I said, you get to kind of have like lay away on another four four as well for later too. So oh yeah. Um, yeah, the next one, I, I kind of want to talk about this card because I think it's weird. Let's talk about the blue god because we have oh, the no. blue god. <laughs> as soon as he card. said, I, I want to talk about this card because it's weird, I knew exactly which card yeah. it was. So this is, so this is all, okay, I'm going to read both into this. So the first part is Haka, uh, Whispering Raven. No, that's it's, the back half. Uh, oh, that's the back half. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's, let's do the front half. All right, that's Alrund, God of the Cosmos. So it's a 1-1 one, one for three blue-blue. Uh, it gets plus plus one for each card in your hand. And each foretold card you own in exile. So here we see another thing that works with foretold. You know, cool stuff, right? Like the foretold card, foretold, foretold card is still in your hand technically when this is in play. At the beginning of your instep, choose a card type. Then reveal the top two cards of your library. Put all cards of the chosen type from your hand, I mean, into your hand, and the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. So some some card advantage there, right? Generally, this card's going to be probably like a 3-3 three, three or 4-4, four, 5-5, four, five, five, somewhere along that, that size for God. That's whatever. Um, the other end is what you can cast it for. It's, a, it's the 2-drop. It's one of the blue for a 2-3 flyer. This is Haka Whispering Raven. Uh, whenever this deals combat damage to a player, you return it to your hand and then scry to. I, Ross, this card just, like... It's just so weird to me. It is one of the weirdest cards I've ever seen, to be honest. I, I'm going to play it in limited. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I cannot see a constructed deck. I just, so I, the, I, the, I the, the interesting thing I think about this card is that all run is the front half. So if you play an early Haka and blink it, you get all rent. Mm-hmm. That might be earlier than expected. Um, so that that's a, a cool thing that you can potentially do. It, I will say this, it's also relevant that it's a flyer, but it's a 2-3 for 2 mana as well, so it is going to match up decently against uh, a lot of the, the aggro decks as well, so when you want this early, it's going to it's gonna shine a little bit more. Yeah, I like that, just as a, de- as a defensive creature. You normally don't think of, you know, 2 mana flying flyers as, as defensive, but this one I do think plays pretty well as a defensive creature. Notably, it only, 
goes back to your hand if it deals combat damage to a player. So if right, it's attacking planeswalkers or it's getting in combat with other creatures, it's going to stay around. Um, you know, you play this on turn two, you you attack, you set up your draws on turn three, and then maybe you all run it later. Like, is that good? Not really to me. Like, you're paying two mana. You're, like, magma jetting your opponent, right? And yeah. And then getting all run, but you know, if you if you want to play all run in your deck, uh, you know, if that half ends up being good, then sure, occasionally you'll just get a free magma jet to go along for the ride. Like that's that's perfectly fine, or you'll play it yeah. early and trade against aggro decks. So to me, the the key is how good is all run because I'm not I'm not playing this card to play Haka. I'm playing it to to play all run, and I don't see myself doing that very much. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think it's that good. Like it can be pretty big, uh, but it's just a you know five mana big idiot that end of turn like. That ability, it reads with like potential, right? You, you sometimes you can draw two cards off of it, but it's yep. like either you're gonna have to really warp your deck in order to do that, or you're gonna be naming land a lot and drawing a lot of lands yeah. with it, which is fine in, in some decks. I think you'll name land quite a bit with it. Um, but you know, if you're a control deck and you have 15 instants in your deck, let's say, like if, if a quarter of your deck is instants, you're drawing about half a card with it. Yeah, and I like so- that. So. You know, it's a it's a five mana creature that like draws a half a card at your end set. Maybe it also just dies, right? Like it isn't gods like in the past where they come back or they do anything crazy like that. Like it's not indestructible. This is just a normal creature too. So I'm not seeing it with this card. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't see it either. And I don't think like the cool thing you can do trying to like blink Haka and get all run on turn three. There's not really a way to do it efficiently. I think Thassa will do it on turn four, but notably will blink it on your end step so that you don't get the all run to trigger. Because that, that's what oh, I yeah, want. That's true. I, what I want to do is play Haka, blink it on turn three, and immediately start drawing cards with Allrun, and and have it be big, because my hand is probably yeah. pretty big at that point, too. So true. that's what I want to do. Um, but there's no way to do <laughs> that. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, may, maybe this card actually like randomly sees play in like Death and Taxes decks, because you can flick a respite on turn three, right? Uh, but it, you know we saw that with a Glass Pool Mimic already. So maybe they go all in with weird flicker wisp tricks and play restoration angels and stuff like that. I oh I guess we have we have charming prince. Yeah, so, we have charming so, you, prince. so you can turn there's two Haka, turn three charming prince. Yeah, I was say there's a few different ways to okay. flicker this as well. So yeah, uh, you also so, have you know Yorion and stuff like that. We talked about a few things. To, so. to me, to maybe that's maybe that's good enough, and like maybe it's a good enough card that you can play it when you have that kind of upside because t- turn three all rend is a pretty big game. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's harder to kill early. Like, you can't glass casket it. You probably can't, like, Scorching Dragon fire it. You can't eliminate it. You can Heartless Act it. That's about the best one that costs less than three. Um, so not a lot, you know, answering it early. And, it, you know, you have then more time to generate those cards. Then it gets even bigger. It puts pressure on your opponent. All, all that, all that, uh, all that happy stuff. So, um, like, to me, like, that's, that's the best that it does is it's like, you know, it's kind of more cute than good. Um, so. But a, a really weird card. Yeah. So, like, I, I, one thing I want to say real quick. I, I know this doesn't matter much for the cards, but I do love the artwork on these gods that we've seen so far and how they like actually work with each other. So, like, Alrund is like you know this old wizard looking dude with a with a raven on his sh- shoulder, and then Haka is like is the raven. The, the raven. Right? That, but okay, I that's really cool. like I really like the Tybalt art because it has this kind of like Loki vibe to it. I don't mean like low key. I mean like Loki, the the, the god of, of mischief, because he is the god of lies. But on the front end, I mean, I'm sorry, in the Valky end, you know, the creature end, it looks like this dude that's got like you know a jacket, like you know a hood over his eyes. He's kind of hiding under the jacket. He's about to do something nefarious. You know, is he powerful? Is he not? We don't even know who this person is. And then Tybalt, it's literally him, like you know, pushing the hood back and revealing, like, hey, it's it's me. I'm about to fuck some shit up. 
You know, yeah, I, that, I that love good really artwork cool. that tells a story. You know, like this is really cool. And like you're seeing that in this, I, I, the, the artwork in the set's blowing me away. By the way, it's just amazing. There's so many good land artworks. And stuff. I would I would have never noticed that if you didn't point it out. Yeah, love this kind of no, stuff. I didn't, just don't even look at it. But I, I, so so Alrend is clearly the Odin. The Odin yeah, he's Odin. Because he, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is Odin and this is Loki. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. um really cool uh, artwork as well in this card. And it's a card that's kind of I, I I have to talk about this because it's you. And this is Elvish Warmaster. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this card, but this artwork's amazing, by the way. Um this is a it's a typical elf. It's a two two for two. And one in the green for a two two. Uh whenever one or more elves enter your the battlefield under your control, create a one one green elf warrior token, creature token. This ability triggers only one each once each turn. Um they, they had to put that clause in there because it says non-token. Otherwise, you could... I know it says, you know, one, but, like, you could kind of, you know, get a little exponential with this. Um, here, here's the part that I think a lot of Elves players are going to like besides the fact that it makes more oh, Elves. I didn't even notice that clause. The ability only triggers once a turn? Yeah. They just ruined it. it. They yeah, ruined it. Ross, this card would be absurd otherwise. Like, Why can't they just turn. let me combo people with my Elves? They already do, Ross. They already do. Anyway, uh, the last part of the card is five green green. Elves you control get plus two plus two and gain death touch until end of turn. So it's kind of like another Azuri-ish type card. You know, a card that's... you could, Like, this This one is a better one at playing early and, like, actively, you know, progressing your board and doing stuff while also having this ability, like, late game. So um, I will say this. I think this card might surprise some people in its playability, especially in, like, limited being a bomb. And then maybe a deck shows up in Seder because don't forget... Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago in one of the episodes. Changeling is in this format. So you, you do have shapeshifters in the format that are elves. So this is this is going to trigger quite a bit. Uh, it's also a warrior, so it does matter for party because there are some there are some yeah. elf party cards. And in that, the last set there was the the elf in the in the previous set that has all the types for party and yeah. like you know sort of has the had the you can also kicker. Find this card. Yeah. yeah, that's that's already an elf. So maybe maybe it's an elf party that they're trying to get us towards. Yeah, so th- this is a card that I don't think it's gonna be like a you know a tier one deck, but if you like tribal decks, you know if you have a if you have a commander deck, if you have your 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 modern deck, you know your elf deck, you know if you like elf decks, period, you want to try it in standard. This is a card that you know you're gonna have to put some work into it, but you can make this work. Also, it's not a legend. I just want not to a legendary. go off with heritage druid. Yeah, they well, won't Ross, let me. Ross, come on, this card like almost this card is almost infinite with heritage druid by itself. Get out. Yeah, of here. just heritage druid, nettle sentinel, glimpse of nature. Let's go. Yeah, my, my favorite magic joke of all time, Matt Nass and Nettle Sentinel walk into a bar. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah, that's the joke. Set up and punchline all in one. Yep, yep. Love it. Um another card that's really cool in this set, uh I'm a big I'm a big fan of is All Runs Epiphany. Uh so this is like I I'm assuming this might also be a uh we'll see if this is a, a cycle. So Allrund is the the blue god that we talked about earlier, and he he has he has a, a big sorcery that comes along with him. So, like, maybe all the colors have a big sorcery that go along with their god or a small one, whatever. They have a card that goes along with it. But this one, I have um, I've been seeing some cool nicknames for it uh, as well. Because uh, Time Squawk. That's the one I time, saw. I've seen Time Squawk. Uh, yeah, Bird Walk. There's a lot of cool ones. So, uh, this card costs seven. It's five and two blue. It does have foretell, though. So, you can pay two ahead. And it, you, get, you get one mana off of the cost. So, it'll be four and blue, blue if you want to foretell it. But... Uh, it creates two one one blurred uh, blurred. It creates two one one bird creature tokens of flying, and then you take an extra turn after this one. You do have to exile the card, but yeah, um, that, that's a staple on time walk effects now, so you yeah. don't like loop them with. So, so this is pretty cool too, because like a lot of the busted time walk cards in the past have been five mana, right? Like you know time war- like uh, was it time warp? I think it's the five mana sorcery. That's the one that like we kind of 
you know, we're not talking about time walk here, but that's the one that's kind of everything's graded by. It's a five mana, just hey, take an extra turn. Like, that's big. There's been some seven mana ones in the past that have done some cool stuff. This is a seven mana one that gives you two one ones, but also you could possibly pay six for it. So it's like right in the middle. It gives you some blockers. You can maybe get some damage in. It allows you to, you know, up your planeswalkers multiple times. Uh, this is interesting. I'm usually, I shy away from cards like this because I don't like the floor of this card. But the ceiling of it is absurdly good. Yeah, I I love time walk effects. I just like playing that kind of game where you, you it's almost like combo killing someone after playing a, like a fair game of Magic for a while. You just set up like this devastating sequence. Um, so I'm, and they never I'm see in it for coming too. It's always like oh, main yeah. phase two after you've like done some attacks and something. Where you're like, oh, I'm doing this again. And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, and I have some birds to attack, so it like develops your board even more to set up. So you know the the two halves of the card really play well together. We have seen some six mana time walk effects be good. Part the water veil, the one that, uh, and uh, walk the aeons. Uh, so I, th- I think it's costed appropriately. I'm not sure there's a real home for it, though it is good with Thassa. You know, that repeatable effect. So Th- Thassa's, you know, sort of a planeswalker. Thassa at blink style decks are decks where you're going to be playing a good amount of creatures. You always want to play time walk effects with creatures because when you take an extra turn, you want to take advantage of every single aspect of that turn, the draw step the, and the attack step and the main phase. So, you know, you want to, you want to have some, something on the battlefield. Uh, so I think that is where I'm looking for the card. It, like, this is a card that, you know, l- like you said, it has a pretty low floor, but a high ceiling. So you need to find the right home for it. That's the key. Uh, but it's definitely a card that I'm going to be thinking about. This is a card that I'll I'll brew around a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a card that interests me. Like I usually, they usually catch my eye, and then I forget about them for a few months, and then it might pop up somewhere. So we'll see. Yeah, and then, and then somebody like you know top eights an SCG with it, and you're like, oh, that card's a good card exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a couple other cool cards uh, came out. Um, we got some more little like uh, you know card advantages whatever sorceries or whatever this this is pretty cool it's glimpse of the cosmos a lot of cosmos stuff going going on in this set but this one's a pretty sweet sorcery so it's one in a blue so look at the top three cards of your library put one of them in your hand and the rest in the bottom of your library anywhere so uh you know ponder-esque you don't really just set it's up anti- it's anticipate yeah it's anticipate there you go it's, it's anticipated sorcery speed which doesn't sound good right like anticipated this speed's not playable here's why this one's interesting and this we're going to see a theme of this in the set as it, there's more text this card as long as you control Giant, you may cast Glimpse of the Cosmos from your graveyard by paying blue rather than paying its mana cost. If you do, exile it instead. So, um, I was about to say, some, someone jokingly commented on everything on Twitter today whenever they saw these cards was uh, Bonecrusher Giant has entered the chat. Yeah. You know, like, just I'm just thinking of, like, the Giants that are playable. We haven't seen too many, you know, busted Giants in the set. I'm assuming there's, you know, a Giant theme either in this set or another there, one. There's a few Giants around, too. There's Tectonic Giant. I, I did a search earlier today. Because we also have Invasion of the Giants, so there's two cards that are pushing this Giants Matters theme. Have you seen the the Invasion? This is the Is It Saga? Uh, those, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for people at home, it's a blue and a red. First chapter is Scry 2. Second chapter is Draw a Card, Then You May Reveal a Giant from Your Hand. When you do, Invasion of the Giants, it deals two damage to target opponent or planeswalker. So it doesn't deal with any creatures. Um, but you do get just Scry 2, Draw a Card... Um, sort of like an omen of the sea, but it takes a little while. And then in chapter three, the next giant spell you cast this turn costs two less to cast. So, you know, you can start with invasion of the giants on turn two. Then on turn three, you show them your bone crusher. You play the front half of your, uh, of, you know, glimpse of the cosmos. 
And then on turn three, you get to stop something, pay a red for your Bone Crusher Giant, then flash back the glimpse, and you've drawn, you know, three extra cards, dealt two damage to your opponent, dealt two damage to a creature, and made a 4-3 on the first four turns of the game. I don't know if that sequence is that good, um, but this is the, you know, there's clearly the Giant Matters theme here. It's not, I don't think it's going to be super well-developed, so this is the thing that I'm just going to wait till the very end of the preview season, and then you'll see a Giant Matters deck on versus Live, because we'll just, you know... Put all the cards in a deck and see what see what sticks. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, you know, it's definitely something we're going to try out. But it's not, you know, I want to I want to have every single tool at my disposal to see if this works at, at its uh, at its highest. Uh, the one thing I, I will note is that both of the Giants Matters cards that we have right now are like sort of mopey, below rate um, card selection cards, and so I want to see more stuff that's affecting the battlefield because you can't you just can't have too many of those you know spin your wheels kind of effects. You know, unless you're getting a really big payoff. Um, so there's either got to be a payoff for doing that or more Giants Matters cards that affect the battlefield. I suspect we'll get them. Uh, if you remember Giants from Lorwyn generally were doing things that affected the battlefield. A lot of mini sweepers, I remember. And things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, excited to see what, what goes on with that. But yeah, uh, you know, we were going to see a bunch more Bone Cursor Giant anyway. You know, that card's just yeah. messed up. And yeah, I, I Very good. <laughs> I do like that, you know, you don't have... When it comes to building around these synergies, you really lose a lot when you have to play a lot of substandard cards to make the synergies work. So if I get to play Bone Cursor Giant, which is a great card, and get these synergies on top of it, uh, you know, that's great. And so my, my payment is I have to play a bad Anticipate, but then I get, you know, three mana for two Anticipates, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, all right, so the next one I'm going to talk about, this is another new ability. Uh, to this set, I'm talking about uh, Vargoth, the Blood Sky Sire. Uh, this is a uh, two and a black for a legendary creature. It's Demon Rogue. So again, the the creature type's mattering. It's a rogue. It's a two three for two and a black. It's got a Death Touch. It has a new ability called Boast. Um, so Boast has a has a cost. It's one and a black. It says uh, target player searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts the card on top of it. Um, activate this ability only if a creature attacked this turn and only once each turn. If this creature, sorry, so like the creature itself, so this creature has to attack, has to survive combat, and then you can boast at one and black. Well, I guess it doesn't have to survive. Yeah, it doesn't combat. have to survive. You, you, you can boast even before they block. Yeah. There's no there's no sorcery speed attached to it. So this is a three mana investment of a two three of death touch. That if you get to attack with it, you get to vamp tutor. Um, I'm not sure. I so the biggest thing for me is that. When you Vampiric Tutor, obviously, like, that that period of where you're waiting is a little awkward. I want immediate access. So I want to play this in a deck with, like, Vivian, and then Tutor for a creature and just cast it off the top. I want to play it in, in decks that give me access to the top of my library immediately so I don't have to wait. And I know, think I've, th- noticed a, I've noticed a theme on the show today. You're very millennial about like, <laughs> all your stuff. You're, like, very, like... Instant gratitude. I want it now. Yeah, like, give it to me now. Yeah, I've been playing Magic for a long time. I've I've done my waiting. Just I've done my waiting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's where I I want to try this card. Uh, I'm actually playing it tomorrow in versus just in Rakdos to try it out. Just in general, you know, I, I think the stats on it are fine. The one thing that I like about this one with Boast is having Death Touch means you're not often in this weird scenario where, where you're like, I want to attack so I can boast, but I'm just going to get my creature eaten, so I'm not yeah, really gaining yeah. anything. Here, like the, you know, presumably Varagoth is gonna trade when it attacks, so you're gonna get that that Vampiric Tutor, and if you can do it multiple times, that's sweet. This is another thing uh, to go back to a point that you raised when we talked about Fortel. This is another great way to sink mana on turns where you're saving that mana with Fortel. 
So you you know you foretell something on turn two, you play this on turn three, on turn four you play your cheap creature and you get to boast and set yourself up to curve out to, on turn five, uh, right? So I think there's a lot of cool things you can do with this. Uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I will say I I wouldn't be that surprised if this card really didn't see play, um, but I I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I can see both sides for sure. It's one of those cards. If you didn't have Death Touch, I would want nothing to do with it. Yeah, the Death Touch is a really important part of it because both you're not drawing a card with both, so you're gaining card quality because you're turning what you're going to draw into something that you want. So I don't think that would be worth just suiciding your two three into a bigger creature. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's a really good way to put it. Ooh, it, it is um, also a rogue, by the way. Yeah, as, as I said earlier, it's it's got another creature type. Yeah. thing. I said that. But that's that's card. one of the party types. So yep. important there. Look, we're seeing yep. that we're we're starting to they're def, we're definitely going to see party decks at some point. I don't know if they're going to happen this season or in the spring or in the summer. It's going to happen. It's going to be a thing. Or we're going to get a lot of bad Mean Girls memes. <laughs> Stop trying to make party happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what are the other cards I wanted to talk about? This was a, a late edition today. I have no idea to pronounce the third word in the in the title of this one. This is this one came from Autumn herself. This is Reflections of Litjara. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go there. I should have made you pronounce the names, but uh, it's four to because blue it's for a, a Norse set. I would be tempted to pronounce it with a yaw sound. I, but, I was just gonna say it might be Yara. Yeah, Yara. Yeah, so that's that's so what four, I, where I would lean, but I, I would be low confidence. So four and a blue for an enchantment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever you cast a spell of the chosen type, so you get to choose a creature type, but it's a spell of the chosen type. Uh, you copy that spell. I'm glad there's a reminder text because that threw me for a loop when I first read it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, very interesting card. Uh, another card that I'm sure someone's going to try to make fetch happen here. I'm going to call back to your joke a minute ago. Someone's going to try to make fetch happen here and make this a thing in standard or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I see this as a card that might be a player and stuff like Commander. You know, Brawl. Like those kinds of big combo-y type decks, but... I'm not so sure about this in standard because it's a five-mana enchantment that doesn't do anything right away. It gets answered pretty easily by a lot of the commonly played cards. Like, if you play this past the turn and your opponent just, like, Elspeth conquers, that's it. That is horrendous for you. Yeah. I, I'm I'm definitely low, very low on this card. This is, like, you know, a cool card that I agree is, is more for the casual formats. I will say I can envision, like... Uh, matchups where the board kind of stalls out and both players are playing creatures. Like, maybe this card is good if you know your opponent doesn't have a lot of answers to it. That said, right now, people are incentivized to have disenchant effects, so I don't think this card really has any chance until rotation when there's a big shift in the metagame. Um, but next year, like, maybe it's got a shot and it would be a very niche sideboard role player kind of card, like a one-of in the board for certain matchups. That's like the best I can see it ever doing in a competitive setting. Um, but cool card. No, absolutely. Like, again, I can see this in, you know, casual formats. This is a pretty cool card for like commander and stuff. You can do a lot of busted stuff with it. It'll be fun. I, I'm, I'm not seeing it. I'm usually very skeptical on these cards. But along your point, and I'm excited about this, I want standard to slow down, right? Like, I want, I want, I want, I want the games to go out a little bit longer. You know, I want it not to be, I don't want to be casting broken stuff on turn three every game or turn two every game where the, you know, the game's all about Uro or this or that. So if this is like where we're headed, where this is the kind of thing that we're doing, I'm in for this. 
if a deck is playable with this card in standard, I think that's a good, like, that's a standard I'm going to enjoy. Because I'm going to get to, like, cast more than three spells in a game. Yeah, you know, I could definitely, uh, yeah, uh, I would be, I would be in for that being a playable card. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm rooting for it. I'm in its corner. Uh, an- another card that got previewed today that I want to talk about for, like, just two seconds. I'm usually not too big into these cards, uh, though this one looks like they might be trying to push it a little bit. This is Cole the Forge Master. It's red and a white for a 2-2. It's a legendary creature. It's a dwarf warrior. So, again, creature type matters. Um, whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, you can return it to its owner's hand. So your creatures like can't die now. It does say another though, so you can't do it itself. But it says creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one plus one. We've already seen the white god in this set. We're already seeing a lot of reasons to kind of have this thing. So like there may be a little bit of a dwarf theme here. And like we talked about, there might not be a dwarf lord in standard, you know, that got printed a little while ago, but this one has a, a similar effect-ish kind of thing. There is there is the dwarf lord that makes treasures from the set. The two one. It's one Did of the I, first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was say, I, I haven't, that one doesn't exist in my brain yet because it's not a real card yet. <laughs> yeah. Also, it like some of these cards get previewed earlier and I'm trying to make sure that we don't talk about the ones that aren't official. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a few that aren't like technically official, but yeah, you're talking about Magda, Brazen Outlaw. Yeah. I was talking about Halvar, God of Battle. Yeah, like, yeah, which by the way, I went and looked at the art just to see the art connection. It's pretty cool. It's got a you know a god like dude with this absurd sword, and then just like in a dead body. Yeah, it's just whatever the next one. Uh, I guess it's not Thor that had Mjolnir. This is a hammer, so I don't know if that he's supposed to be Thor or something else. It still could be like a Thor. Like it, it yeah. also, um, it's God of Battle, and what was yeah. it? Uh, the, the God of Death usually had a sword, and the God of Battle usually had a sword. So okay. Yeah, so the I, I'm not high on, on the the Boris card. Like maybe with Magda when you're going ham with dwarves. Um, because then the, like making treasures with Magda lets you tutor for different equipment, if that's cool. Um, so I, th- I think you got to be making use of it being a dwarf. I don't think the card stands alone, uh, by itself. Um, it's two halves are like kind of weird. Normally when you're equipping and doing other stuff, you're not making a lot of creature tokens. So I don't really like, I don't, I'm sure there's like a flavor reason why, but like competitively those two abilities don't jive with me. So it just seems like a, a, a mediocre creature. Um, and I've been trying to make these equipment decks work. <laughs> so if I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not interested. It's it's interesting in this set too because you have you have dwarves right, and you have like dwarf warriors, and then you have like berserkers. But we haven't seen any like overlap. There haven't been like dwarf berserkers because there's other like berserker matters cards in this set. And I was like, maybe there should have been some overlap, but maybe it's just too good if they did that. Yeah, just jam it all together. I just kind of wish they would tone down the creature type, like the the very small underdeveloped creature type matters effects it seems like they're baked into every set now and they're like they're never that good there's like it's always matt at best a tier two deck it's really funny whenever they do that like they bring out like a new t- like a creature type that's underdeveloped like you said or you know hasn't been used that much through through history just like small amounts and then like something gets previewed for it they're like oh it's this whatever and i remember I-, I can't remember the exact card but there was something like that where like there was a lord or like a harbinger of it or something like that from like way back in the day and this card got printed 14 years ago or 12 years ago and it went from like a fifty cent card to like a twenty dollar card, like overnight or whatever, because like you know you just don't have copies of this card, and everyone needs it now for Commander or whatever. So um, it's very interesting to see that. So like now we're seeing Berserker become an actual creature type. You know, Dwarf might be getting a little bit more. So you could have your Dwarf deck because let's be cool. Let's be real. Dwarves are kind of cool. Yeah. Oh no, Dwarves are great. Give me. I'm I'm in on Dwarves. And yeah, then I like you Gim- know Gimli's my boy. You know. So. Yeah. Okay. Um. There's one other big card from this. Uh, the last couple days that I think we got to hit. 
And that Which is that one? Vorin Klex. Ooh, this Monstrous is a reprint, by Raider. The way. A reprint from what? Uh, this was... I must say, isn't this a reprint from... Uh... Oh, it's 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 a it's it's a, it's the same character. So yeah, yeah, this is not yeah. A reprint. It's a return of Vorinclex. It's, it's different Vorinclex. So this is a big deal because it's it's a Phyrexian card, and it actually has creature type Phyrexian. But I'm gonna let yeah. you read the card. That is true. That's a, I think that's the first time we've seen that. Yes, it is. Yeah. So it's a Phyrexian Praetor, four green green for a six six. Has a trample and haste, and it says if you would put one or more counters on a permanent or a player. Put twice that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead. And if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, they put half that many counters of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead, rounded down. Important so aspect one, there. Zero. So yeah, so ones go to zero. Um, so if your opponent's plinking you with, with Blighted Agent, they're not doing that anymore. Uh, uh, this, this is a card that when you play this at the commander table, people are going to be real mad. Like, yeah. Big mad. It's, you know, doubling season is a commander staple uh, you know, and uh, this is just a doubling season that is gigantic and attacks and it can be played as your as your commander. So I'm sure it's great for that format. Um, but even for how good this is against planeswalkers too. Yeah, that that's the thing that that's like six power trample haste. That's gonna attack some planeswalkers down. So the, I actually kind of like this. You know, also in, when they plus standard they like don't get their plus half the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess like I'm and like your planeswalkers come with double counters, so all, you get all of those different synergies baked in. We already have Conclave Mentor that exists in standard, so you, like another reason to build around different counters and stuff. Um, I, I think this card has a shot. I like it. Might just be see playing like you know big green decks because you need a big you know, trample haste creature. Yeah, because like I can see that play line, right? Like your opponent plays a four or five mana planeswalker, it like does something like kills your creature or whatever, or does something pluses, and you're like, okay, six mana attack it to kill it and i still have this six can play that you now have to kill like that is a really good play line from a green deck yeah and if your opponent has like a kaya in response like they go uh like five mana kaya or for five mana and it's supposed to have five and now it comes up with two instead and they can't minus three it i'm pretty sure that's how that works i hope we're getting that right so it like disrupts you're, you're your opponent's guy. I mean, I'm getting the math right. I just don't know if, like, do, like I know doubling season works with Planeswalkers because that was a thing. So I assume, and this is phrased like doubling season, so I assume it works with Planeswalkers too. And so it has, so the opponent's side has to disrupt their Planeswalkers. So you make your opponent's Planeswalkers worse. You make yours better. You, you know, the plus one plus one counter stuff, I think you, like with this card, you don't even need to develop a ton. Um, just six mana, six, six, trample haste. Your opponent's Planeswalkers suck and yours are great. <laughs> is is yeah. pretty cool. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm this card's good. I think it's good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I, I, it'll be interesting to me to see exactly like how much of the plus one plus one cat, like the counter abilities do you, do you want to be taking advantage of with this card? Like how, how much can just the body and the stats carry it 80% of the way there, 70%, 90%, uh, you know, how, how, what kind of sacrifices, you know, are appropriate to make in deck building? Where is that balance? But to me, like you know, it reads a lot like a commander card, but I think this card sees playing standard. Yeah, and so we talked about the creature earlier where we're like, if this didn't have Death Touch, I wouldn't want anything to do with it. If this, if, Especially for standard, this one didn't have haste, I'd want a lot less. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'd be unplayable. So important this card. Yeah, it would be absolutely unplayable. And I think that's something they're probably going to add to there. Like, yeah, this, this creature just needs to be able to attack the turn it comes into play. So um, you know, there's, a, there's a long-standing tradition of, like, the big, dumb, green idiots of haste are pretty good against a lot of the control decks. And this one is just, like, a very pushed version of a lot of those. 
So, yeah, I, I think this card's a winner for sure. Just matters if you do six mana, which we talked about it earlier. Uh, old Growth Troll works out pretty well with this when you're like adding some extra mana into your mana pool. You know, if you if you know you play your three drop and then they kill it, and then you play Castle Garenbrig and make six mana and <laughs> cast your six drop. And, yeah. Castle Garenbrig, I keep forgetting about that one. That one's still legal. Uh, that makes six green mana. You, you might want to uh, wait to eliminate your opponent's Old Growth Dryad until they are combat step. Yeah. I'm going to take the four. I'm going to do it in your instep this time, buddy, or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. yeah you're gonna, and we talked about this in the past. I think it's pretty good formats where, you know, timing matters well. Like, do, do my, you know, removal spells and stuff line up well? But now I have to time them correctly in certain spots, too, because, like, you know, there's little small edges for that. And you're going to see people doing really weird stuff if some of these cards make it into standard and timing the removal spells in a weird way. And, you know, that's, that's a spot where you can get some edges, in the format too with the way your yeah. deck's built and stuff you'll you'll see little things but especially early when people haven't you know played with the cards a lot and gotten used to it yet yeah F- fancy timing is like one of my favorite things in magic it's why i love vendillion click so much because you, you, know, you cast it so many different spots and so many different, like you know the, the you vi- never take a card <laughs> i'm 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 probably 30 percent to take a card i'm under 50 for sure yeah, yeah. it's like not even half amount and it's the is it the worst feeling in magic too it's the worst feeling ever like i remember the first time someone did that they were like Look at your hand. All right, you can keep all of it. I went, well, fuck me, right? Like, I'm dead. <laughs> like, That's not good. Yeah, so that, it's that, the, the Ralph Wiggum meme. He's sitting I'm in the in danger. Yeah, yeah. In danger. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but yeah, um, I, I got to say, overall, I, I'm, I'm real digging this set. I love the metal theme. Like, it's really cool. I love the artwork. I love the way the cards are working out. Um, I, I'm excited for the set quite a bit. Yeah, I was a big Theros fan for all the the mythological tie-ins, and even though I'm going to understand a lot fewer of them because my knowledge of, of Norse mythology is much lower, um, I'm, it's going to be cool. I'm, I assume over the course of the set, I'm going to learn about Norse mythology because I'm going to just see where the, the tie-ins are. So I'm actually looking forward to that aspect of it. Maybe if that comes up in my trivia league you know, this season, I, I can thank Magic. Uh, but the yeah, the, you pointing out the artwork on the gods... That's actually really awesome. Uh, and I'm n- normally a person that doesn't buy into the artwork at all, but that's really cool. I like artwork, so. I like um, artwork on my magic cards. Yeah. But because uh, a lot of the times the way I play magic is I know what the card does and I recognize it by its artwork and I never read the card. You know what I mean? I just know yeah. what the card is and does by the by seeing it. So I'm yeah. sure that's the way a lot of people function, but I, I don't I don't know the inner workings of your mind and I don't want to know the inner workings of your mind. That's right? that's the way my mind functions too, but it usually takes playing limited to get that down with a lot of the cards. Um right? Because you just don't see a ton of them in constructed. But I'm I'm just glad that they like feels like in the last like three or four years they've just like made more overtly complex complex cards. And I kinda like it. Like I, I now, for the last you know two or three years, every time I look at preview cards, I'm reading it and it's like, holy shit, that does this and this, and like, how does that work together? There's just so many balls in the air with every card, um, and it just makes the put like it's not it's not overwhelming, but it is challenging to try to maximize the abilities of all of these different cards, and that I I like it. Like that's that it's just more of that more of the magic puzzle. Yeah. That's what I want. Um. And I'm looking forward to trying to figure that out, honestly. Uh, these are cards that I want to play with in Standard. I'm, I'm super excited for this stuff. And I'm assuming our show next week is going to also be more of the same. Like, we'll probably have uh, a 
you know, more spoilers to look at, oh, more yeah. cool cards, because this, this set comes out relatively soon, right? Should, uh, I think, think we're going to have the entire set in two weeks, or like a week and a half, and then it comes out in two weeks, something like that. I, I, I think the set, it releases, or pre-releases two weeks from f- Friday, I think is the pre-release. So two weeks from tomorrow. And I think we have the entire set like a couple days before that or early early in that week. And then it releases the week after. So yeah, you know, pre- preview season these days is pretty tight. So we like, we don't, I think it used to be where you'd get like a, a handful of cards a day. Now we get like a pretty good chunk each day, which is nice. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting, you know, most of the set. And then I'm assuming the, the episode where we have the full set out, we'll do like pretty much like, Maybe we'll do another episode like that, and we'll maybe we'll do our top eight just in general, like you know the top yeah. eight cards in the set for 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 magic in general. And usually we do that episode uh, live. We'll and just do eight top eight we'll lists for each format and commander, and you know the show will go seven hours. And... No, no. <laughs> also, we need your computer to be off the fritz before we do that as well. Yeah, I'll, I'm getting on that. Don't worry. All right, good, good. All right, uh, before we leave uh, and in the show this week, I wanted to make sure we talk about a few things. Uh, make sure you check out our sponsor, Barrister and Man. That's Man with two N's. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on on their website over there. Lots of, you know, uh, good guy-related stuff. You can even there's even stuff for some for some girls over there as well. Uh, Ross is showing me. I want to say showing me a package right now, but that just yeah. sounded dirty. Ross That's is the package me I got his, for them. I actually haven't opened it. Ross is showing me his package right now as he fumbles around with it in his hands and plays with it. It's it's amazing to watch. It's a big white package, and he's just rumbling it around, and his hands are rolling it around. Anyway, it's a package of Barrister and Man products. Uh, he's very excited to open it, it's as he a, said. It's definitely um, a man package. Yeah, I got one a few days ago. And opened it up and it had uh, a bunch of new bars of soaps in there. I've been trying on a new one. Um, I forgot the damn name of it, but it's one of the new scents, and I like it. Natalie likes it. That's the thing that matters to me. Like, yeah, I don't that's really the real care test. what I. Yeah, I don't care what I smell like. You know, she cares. So that's that's the big thing for me. I want to make sure I don't smell bad when we're like, you know, sleeping in the same bed at night and stuff. So it's a, it's a big thing for me. Lots of cool products on there. Um, it was a great idea for for holidays. So if you got some birthdays and stuff coming up, great present idea and stuff like that. So make sure you check them out. That's barristerandman.com. Uh, you can use the code uh, MTGRANTS to get 15% off your order as well. Make sure you check it out. And uh, they, they send stuff out pretty quick, too. Like, they're oh, yeah. pretty on it. Can't, like, every interaction we've had them with them, excellent. Even the interactions that, like, I didn't know were happening. All of a sudden, I just get, like, every now and then I get an email, like, your order is shipped. I'm like, ooh, what order? And I click <laughs> on it, I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> what am I getting? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What am I getting? Half the time that I see that, I actually don't read the order. I just want to be surprised when I open it up when it gets home. You know, so I'm like, oh, I'm not, I, want to, I want to keep it as a surprise, you know, kind of thing. So You're a far better man than I am. Yeah, I like the delayed gratification. Sometimes you're, you're more like, <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> but don't get me wrong. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But okay. uh, Ross, if, if people want to hold do... Hold the phone, Tannen. You're skipping some steps here. We have a question in the mailbag. Oh, the mailbag. We should probably do a few of the uh, other yeah, things as well. Some here, overrated, right? underrated. Sorry, uh, I um, I recently like injured my throat. I know that's a weird thing to say, and it's just like really hurting me. And I kind of wanted to like <laughs> get done with the show. Okay. But I'll, I'll, I'll do. My, I'll do most problem. of the talking. Don't worry. Yeah, I was gonna say I actually have to go to the doctor soon. So just for ahead. you, Tannen. Only, only for you. Normally, you know, I'm a man of few words. Sure. <laughs> I wish you were a man of few words. <laughs> a fewer words, but anyway, go ahead. Um, can you uh, actually read the, the question? It's easier for you to pull up the Discord. Sure, it's, it's, in, it's in the mailbag, right? Okay, yep. sure. Uh, this is from For Those Who Have Heart. This is actually a personal friend of mine. He's a great guy. I love him to death. Uh, he actually recently got married, so a little congratulations from the congratulations. cast. Listening. Yeah, absolutely. I sent them a really nice bottle of wine with their names on it. For uh, It has like their, their wedding date on the bottle. You never like, send me nice bottles of wine. 
Oh, I, it's really funny that you say that because I actually have a line thing for you that I was going to tell you about after the show. Like, I'm really showing it to you on the camera right now. I don't know if you can see it. Can you look on the camera? Oh, my God. This? A voucher? Save $130? Yeah. That's yeah, like I got some 12 bottles of wine. Have, the thing is, you have, to, you have to spend money to save yeah, the money, yeah. and I'm not going to do it, but you might. So I was going to let you have it or whatever. But anyway. That's true. I might. Um, he asked, uh, what is your favorite completely unplayable magic card of all time, and why do you have a special place for that card? Go ahead, Ross. So my answer is Urtai Wizard Adept. This is a uh, a summon legend. Counts as a wizard. It's how those things used to be templated. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's an Exodus rare, actually. Two and a blue for a 1-1. One, one, and two blue-blue tap, discard a card from your hand, counter target spell. Uh, so when I was... When I, was very young. My brother was the first, my older brother taught me how to play magic. And that was my first introduction to the game. And I, I like, I would just play with his decks against him. And he always beat me. And, uh, but the card that like was always incredible to me was this one because so he would like, you know, play it and I wouldn't have my removal spell. He'd untap with it. And then I just wouldn't be able to resolve anything. He just countered everything. It dominated like all of our weird casual games when I was like seven. Uh, so it also has really cool art. Especially if you were a 90s kid, he's got like blonde tipped feathered hair. Yeah, he's just super cool. Yeah, he's so, super cool. He's got his cloak um, on. His The flavor text of the card is, was that it? He's just super yeah, cocky about everything. It. Yeah, that, it just, it? He, he checks every box. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of like specific cards here. Um, but there's cards that like, I, I you know, when I'm put on the spot, I'm, I'm going to remember one later. And hopefully I remember for the next episode and be like, oh, like this card, but. You know, at the top of my head, I think of things like uh, Torrential Gear Hulk. Um, but that one's not completely Delver. unplayable. Yeah, Delver of Secrets in certain formats. You know, things like that, like uh, Electrolyze. You know, Can I don't you, know why. I just you're saying really all playable love. magic cards. Yeah, I just really... Mm, are they? Are they? Delver is a good deck in Legacy right now. I said in some formats. I said yeah, in some formats. But this, the question specified completely unplayable. So it has to be unplayable in every format. Yeah, like this. I'm trying to think of what is like the. I'll, like, I'll give you card. that it has to be unplayable only in constructed format. So I figured your answer would be some card that you played a lot of in limited, like some weird uncommon that never saw yeah, play like, constructed. Okay, I usually like really like the um, build around me type cards. You know, like something like Rooster yeah, you were, a, you were a Burning Vengeance guy in in, in I a played it constructed. Yeah, I, played <laughs> it, I, I forced the shit out of Burning Vengeance. Yeah, because. Yeah. Especially at like so, I played in like five or six draft opens during Innistrad, maybe seven or eight. And I top aided every single one of them that I played in. And it was almost in the back always of just forcing Burning Vengeance because I've always noticed that when people play, especially people like, you know, at the at the draft opens, it, it wasn't the same as playing a professional level uh, draft, but it had that feel to it, right? Like, this, this is not your FNM draft. This is not a draft of your buddies. Like, you, you paid a lot of money to play in this event and you're drafting. And I always felt people were very conscious of themselves when they played in that. They were like, you know, I want to do well here. I don't want to mess up. I'm going to like pay attention to all my picks, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm always forcing the gimmick decks because people are too scared to do it. Like people were, too, you know, too worried about branching out in their deck, not being good or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, that, yeah everybody wanted to avoid the train wreck. Yeah. But always, the point was to get the three out. Like it didn't matter if you two won every single, you know, draft open, then you'd never top it. I threw it a lot, you know, like, yeah. uh, I remember I have a, I had a deck once. I had a Burning Vengeance deck where my deck had six creatures in it, and the rest were you know cards for Burning Vengeance. All six creatures were Delver of Secrets, which is really good in a Burning Vengeance deck, by the way. Yeah, that deck sounds awesome. Yeah, it was really sweet, and like my deck can make creatures. You know, like I had like Mona the Unhallowed. I had like Reap the Seagraph. You know, spells that make creatures. 
but also how many brimstone volleys did you have uh I, I don't remember exactly i wasn't as high on that card as some other people i just think in in that deck specifically where you're like beating down with delvers having a reach yeah. spell is really nice and it's good removal um i agree that card was overrated it was it was talked about as the best common and i don't even think it was like top three yeah it, it was really cool like like geist flame which is better as a red common but um that's a hot take yeah i think that card was absurd um especially in burning midgets but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that format we used to we used to keep a tally i remember we had a really long talk with jerry thompson about it once it was like what's the coolest card you've ever revealed to a delver of secrets like to, to to flip it over or whatever and i remember in that format i revealed an increasing savagery to a delver of secrets once and i was like yeah this is this is, this is did, i may have peaked did here. you I'm, did I'm you gonna, pass the increasing savagery that turn on uh, your insectile aberration i don't know if it was literally that turn but it, it happened to that game <sighs> And uh, as I was say, I'm, I'm going to let that one slow burn. Everybody at home, you can look it up. Sorry if you're looking at this in a car. Don't wreck your car trying to look up Increasing Savagery, but take a look at it. That car was a sweet one. And it was like one of the better cars I've ever revealed in Delver's Secrets. But That, that is a nice answer. Yeah. So I don't think I have a good answer to that question. But yeah, probably just probably just Burning Vengeance. You know, probably my most unplayable card of all time that I, that I loved. And I just forced that. For, the, for I think some people in the same vein would say, what was it? Spider Spawning? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Uh, let's do some over under. Do a couple of those, yeah, yeah. Bang out a few of those. I was looking at. We the... need to do a. We'll do a full show sometime soon because we got. There's a lot to catch up on. Oh so. yeah. All right. Uh, the first one is from Blastic. Uh, flavor text. Um, overrated. I don't really pay attention to it. Underrated because, especially nowadays, where there's barely any flavor text ever on cards because everything's got six paragraphs on it. <laughs> that is true. You know, you don't know how much you're gonna miss something until it's gone. Yeah, exactly. From Cathal, olive oil. Mm, I mean, olive oil is obviously awesome, and it seems appropriately rated, right? I think it can't be overrated. It just cannot be yeah. overrated. So therefore, they're properly rated or underrated because it's amazing. Yeah, Pro- um, properly rated. If you said like avocado oil, I'd say underrated because it's not used as much as olive oil. Yeah, also co- being coconut oil, uh, grapeseed oil. There's some oils that are underrated. Zeth4 says, one land hands. Um probably overrated i'm i'm a pretty aggressive mulliganer so uh yeah you're one of the more aggressive ones or maybe not aggressive mulliganer you're you're very stringent on your opening hands um so yeah yeah aggressive while it means what you want it to mean i think it sends the wrong connotation to people or whatever so we're not here to talk semantics but yeah uh, i no, agree I, like i actually think the way you're phrasing it makes is right. I got. I remember your mulligan that was on camera once with like Phoenix or whatever, and the commentators and everybody blew up at this mulligan that you made. And I remember typing in the chat that like I think this is I think this is a mulligan, and only Ross would make this mulligan, and you ended up like winning that game or whatever. Ended up being, I, I ended up I losing remember, that game, but and then wrote an entire article about the mulligan decision, something but. like that. Yeah, it's a great article. It's a great mulligan decision. I, I still think you were right. It, it was an article that SCG didn't publish. I remember like I like I you know I wrote it and. It, just at like you know, ask Cedric if you wanted to publish it. I think I'd already had an article go up that week, and I was like, you know, for my regular fee, if you want another article, I think this is really good. Otherwise, I'm like, I'm just gonna you know tweet it out or whatever. And he's like, no, tweet it out. We're like, we're we're full up on on uh, content on content. Yeah. So I just tweeted it out. Got a good response. Yeah, it's definitely something people can go back on. Uh, one of the hands definitely overrated. The next one, I feel like I'm missing something here. This is from Leo the Magician. Uh, six eighth time signatures. Six eight. Six eight. So, uh, uh, did you ever play an instrument as a kid? Did you learn to read sheet music? The only sheet music I could read was for a very small time. I was a drummer. Okay, so the the time signature for a piece of music, the top number is the number of beats in a measure. 
and the bottom number is the uh, it represents whatever note is one is one beat. So an eight means an eighth note is one beat. So six eighth notes form a measure. Um, six eight time is weird because it's conducted like it's two four time. Um, <laughs> this is not going to make a lot of sense to you, Tannen, but um, so I've already gone glass eyed. <laughs> common time is four four time. So quarter note is one beat and uh, and four beats in a measure, and it gets conducted. It get, watch me, Tannen. If you've seen a conductor like that, you know they'll kind of go like this. And then there's three four time. That's what that's March time. Marches are, are generally in three four. Um, and you would think three four time is going to be really similar to six eight time, right? Because it's 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 three, you either have three quarter notes in the measure or you have you know six eighth notes in the measure. But they they're oddly very different because usually six eight time gets conducted like it's two beats in a measure, and each beat has like three sub beats to it. Uh, so it's like two triplets. Um, so it has it has a, a, a bit more lively of a feel than March t- than the March time. Three four has a sort of regimented feel like like a March. Um, so uh, to me, it's all that that always annoyed me as a mathematically inclined kid that three four time and six eight time were so different. Um, so I don't like six eight time personally. Overrated. <laughs> yeah, that sure. Right. <laughs> next one's from. Next one's from KFET. Uh, they say jazz. I'm gonna give my answer because it's very short. Uh, overrated. Um, I've I've tried to listen to a little bit of jazz music. I'm gonna still say underrated just because the Utah Jazz are so great. And you like that jazz club that Jim Davis takes you to, Dude, right? Yeah, I've got, I've got to be in, in the mood for jazz. Like I, I like jazz in a club, like in a little club like that. You're in the basement, you know. You're having a cocktail. It feels like the fucking twenties. And F. Scott Fitzgerald is in the corner writing a book, and being able to go to a bar anyway <laughs> um bradley wrote uh ask lost in the woods so there's a couple of different ways you can interpret this I'm, I'm gonna let you answer it with your interpretation so i'm gonna go with the magic card lost in the woods which was just a gimmick of a limited deck like people would play 40 forests and a lost in the woods and hopefully cast the one lost in the woods before they died and hope their opponent didn't have an answer to it and then their opponent would deck um it was like something somebody tried because their their draft was like a train wreck and it like kind of worked once and occasionally people would try it afterwards and um yeah it was it was it was not very good so in that case overrated and I don't know how being actually lost in the woods could ever be overrated because there's, there's a musical oh it's a musical okay there we go. Is it like a? Is that like the fairy tale musical? Like they? Yeah, yeah. It recently got released as a movie with a bunch of like big time actors. And there we go. Like I've never seen it. Okay, uh, I saw it. It was overrated. Uh, the gimmicky limited deck overrated. I will tell you where it's underrated. I have a story. Okay. I'm at an open, and I qualified f- for a classic on day two. I uh, do not have time to play in the classic because of flights and stuff. And you know me, I'm pretty. If I don't make it through the open, you know me, I'm pretty lazy on day two. You and I want to go do, like, I think you and yeah. I went and did something that day. I also might have found, like, an earlier flight home. I think, yeah, I think that's what it might have been for this one. I might have found, like, a an $80 one-way home, and I was like, I'm going to spend that staying the night and having dinner, so I might as well just fly home. And yeah. you, know. you, you do not find Tannen in side events. Yeah, T- Tannen plays the main event, and as soon as he's done with the main event, he tries to go home as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went home very early a lot, but... um, So... At this point, I remember 
uh, I really wanted the extra point because you get a participation point. And I was like, you know, trying to keep buys or as close to getting an extra buy or something. The point was very important to me. So I signed up for the Legacy Classic, okay? With no intention of playing the Legacy Classic. I don't even think I had a deck. You know, tried I, to I, buy your point for 30 bucks. So I bought, I bought my point for 30 bucks, got my playmat, you know, sold it for like 10 or 15 bucks, like whatever, right? You have to register a deck for the event. The deck I registered on my play on on my uh, sheet was fifty nine forest and two lost in the woods. This is a legitimate thing that happened. I had multiple judges who know me come up to me and were like, "What is this?" Like you know, like afterwards, like or like one of people were like, "Hey, is this a type? Like, what's going on? Are you actually doing this?" And I explained it to them. They're like, "Okay." Um, I showed up to my round one opponent, sat down. We have our pleasantries, and uh, I just tell him immediately, "I'm like, hey, you you win." And he's like, what? And I was like, I am not playing this event. I, I signed up for the for the point. I explained the whole thing to him. I, I tell him what I even told him what deck I registered. And he, he had a very good laugh about it. I'm trying I, I can't remember his name. This is this is bad, but um the, the the funny part about that is he has he's part of a legacy podcast that's been around for a while in Magic. He also ended up winning this event. And <laughs> that's great. He was he was very excited to play me around one. Right? You know, because why wouldn't he be? You know? And uh, it's a joke, obviously. And he was very excited to play me around one, so I felt really bad about it kind of afterwards. It, so thankfully, there's at least a good funny story to it. You know, oh, he's, he registered Lost in the Woods, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he was disappointed that we didn't get to play Magic. And if I had had a deck, I would have just played a game or two with him because I had time and I just did not. You know, so I was like, hey, man, sorry. Like, meet me at another event when I have my Legacy deck with me or whatever. We'll, we'll game. You know, because this this is a guy that loves Legacy and is good at the format. So those those games are always just... The, the best games that you can play. So, yeah, I registered Lost in the Woods in a thing. So that was underrated because that was awesome. Yeah, that is nice. I especially like that the guy won the won the tournament. <laughs> he also won the tournament, which is just insane. All right, Gold uh, has an over, uh, over-underrated uh, Throne of Eldraine. Um, I'm going to say underrated. Agree. The set obviously had some mistakes. <coughs> okay. And, uh, oh, you, are you okay? Yeah, you yeah, okay I'm over fine. there? You got everything cleared up? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so just, just make it sure, you know, I, I care about you. And, you know, the the overall power level is very high in that set, but a lot of the cards are really cool. Like, I really love those adventure creatures, Lovestruck Beast, Bonecrusher Giant, Brazen Borrower. Um, you know, I'm struggling to remember a lot of other things in the set, but they're, they're, I just love, I'm basically outside of Oko and Mystical Dispute and Mystic Sanctuary. So three pretty uh, egregious mistakes um, that I really dislike, but so much else in the set is really good. Um, so I don't want to let those mistakes overshadow all the good things that went on with it. I like adventure as a mechanic too. You know that seems to be a thing that they're doing now. All these split costs, um, but that that just gives optionality to games and and sequencing, which I really like. Um, just makes the games more tactically complex. Um, so. I, I like Throne of Eldraine from a lot of different perspectives, and I'm not going to throw it away just because of the few mistake cards. I think it was a very cool set overall. Uh, I like them taking risks in designing and in making cards. Uh, without mistakes, we'll never have good, powerful things and cool things happening. So uh, I think underrated. Uh, Brent, our lovely editor, musicals. Uh, I kind of answered this earlier. I think they're mostly just overrated. I'm going to say underrated. I like a good musical. I like them in very small doses, though I will say I loved, I know it's not technically a musical or whatever, I loved Pitch Perfect. So, which, by the way, 
uh, the first and second film of that uh, of that trilogy uh, was filmed on my college's campus. So it was filmed, you know, 10 minutes from where I live. Nice. I could, like, literally tell you where they are. Like, every scene, I'm like, oh, they're in that building or they're in that building for most of it. You know, it was just filmed on LSU. So. I, I will I will agree that they have some uh, pretty high diminishing returns. Like, I don't want to watch musicals all the time. Um, no. But, you know, there's a lot of people that just, like, steadfastly hate them. And that so, to me, that makes them definitely underrated. I had to look up the next person. This is Ralph Baxke, uh from Gold. They were a American director of animated and live action films in the seventies, and uh, he's done some other stuff. But uh, I know that he did like Lord of the Rings. Uh, he did Cool World in the early nineties. It's a really early Brad Pitt film. It's like it did live action plus animated stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it was a very like adult themed type thing. You're over my um, head here. I'm pulling up his IMDB here right now. So yeah. on. Uh, it's a little over my head too, but this guy is probably underrated. Uh, I mean, Lord of the director, Rings was, he was the director of the Lord of the Rings, like thing they did in the seventies, like the late seventies, oh. the 1978 rendition. Um, I, mean, I didn't even realize the, they did a Lord of the Rings thing in the seventies. Yeah. I know they've been trying to do movies and stuff for years. And, he uh, did something in 2015, decades. but mainly stopped in about like 1997. Tolkien wanted Christopher Lee to p- always to play Gandalf, but by the time they finally did it, Christopher Lee was like, I don't think I can, you know, uh, the role is too physically demanding. So yeah. they got Ian Cullen. Mean, yeah, yeah. They actually, it's funny, it's a little unknown thing. He, he uh, when he was still alive, he would read that book series every year. He was actually an expert oh, on yeah. Lord of the Rings. And so a lot of times in the movie, if he was on set, like if he was there at the time, they would talk to him about what's going on and he could like set them straight or tell them how to pronounce the words or, you know, like blah, 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 this blah, blah, blah. Like he was the, one of the leading experts on it while also being in the movie. I think he also corrected a scene where like they were, uh, he's like, this isn't realistic when they were stabbing someone who's like, and he was trying yes. to make his case. And he's like, do you know what it sounds like when someone gets stabbed? And they're like, no. And he's like, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is a, I've seen that interview. It's very fair. Christopher funny. Lee led quite the life. Yeah, he's an amazing, amazing man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Joe, this is a funny one because I know you're probably not going to know this one, and I do. Uh, so Joe says the duck song. Nope. You haven't been on Twitch long enough. You have not been on Twitch long enough. So uh, I'm going to say underrated because the song's great, and we're not going to talk about it. Perfect. <laughs> Let's do uh, two more. K-Fet, K-Fet says Seinfeld. Um, honestly, underrated. I'm going to say slightly overrated. Which is hard to do for a show that is so highly rated. But I actually, if you compare it to other shows from the 80s and 90s, I actually think it holds up better than them. Even even though it actually, like, it, it does seem very anachronistic because it's a, it's a 90s show. So, like, computers are really new. The internet isn't superfluous. You know, all of those things that make life look so different. But it's still it's still funny. Like, maybe it's because I, you know, lived at the time, so I still remember that those days. Like, you know, my favorite episode of the show is the one where they get lost in the mall parking garage, which would literally never happen today because we all have cell phones and we're just, you know, just text like, oh, I'm on the second floor. I got lost in a garage when I lived in Vegas, and it was like a three or four story garage that was just a square. That's it. I may have been slightly inebriated, very <laughs> inebriated, but I definitely got lost in a garage for like a solid 40 minutes. Like I, I was worried. I was starting to sweat because it's so hot, obviously, too. So. They're literally lost in a mall parking garage for the entire episode. It's hilarious. Or the one where they're waiting for their table in the Chinese restaurant and like George is trying to call someone. And um, like, I, so I'm willing to concede that me thinking the show holds up is uh, 
you know, biased by the fact that I still remember, you know, those times, but I do still think it holds up better than other shows of, of that era. So, uh, it, just because it's so, um, it's so mundane that it becomes that much more relatable. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. This one, the next one is from Massimo. It's, it's kind of a related one. They say the office U S of ridiculously overrated. Also, I, I believe it's overrated. I literally can't, I can barely make it through an episode. Yeah. I just find, I, I love Steve Carell as an actor. I like a lot of the movies he's been in. Can't stand I, him. I just show. cannot watch. Like, I get that that's the point of the show, that he's yeah. like that annoying boss. But if that's the point of the show, I'm not interested because he's just so annoying. I just want to scream every time watching him. So, and then like, I, I, I think Jim is an asshole and he's like the person you're kind of supposed to be rooting for. And like, they, it's just, I, there was some, some of the tertiary characters are really funny. I like Stanley a lot. I like Creed. Um, uh, I don't like Andy. Um, who is, um, the, the older woman who's always there? I can't remember her name. I don't know. Regardless, I mean, yeah, I've just never, I've, I've seen probably 10 or 20 episodes, maybe more. I've seen, I'm like, I've seen a decent chunk of it, just scat, kind of scattered episodes. I, I never could get into it. All right. Uh, Gold says Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I have seen most of this movie, actually. I'm very, very surprised by that. I, I don't remember exactly what led to it getting turned on when I was in, I was in California with, uh, my college friends and we were just at, uh, it was like towards the end, usually like there's some people that leave a little bit early and some people are there for like the rest of an extra day. And I was in that second group and we were at one of the guy's apartments in, in the Bay area and we were trying to put something else on and somehow like Sonic came up and we just turned it on and it was not good. Um, I mean, it's like, it, it was not good, but it wasn't, it was at my expectations. I didn't expect it to be good. So properly rated as a not good. I'm going to say it's underrated and I've never seen it. Okay. And do you know the reason? Do, do you have an idea of why? Is I would it say that? because it has Jim Carrey in it? No, it has nothing to do with Jim Carrey. Um. It has to do with the fact that it was a self aware movie. So um, there's a there's a thing to this movie that you might not know or not be aware of. When it the trailers first hit the internet for this movie, the outcry against it was unanimous and very loud because the original look of the movie, Sonic looked horrible. He had like weird human teeth. The hair looked really str- like it just looked really straight. It was like very off-putting, and the reaction to it was so visceral and bad that the like the director of it and the studio were like, "Oh shit, we fucked up," and they were like, "All right, we're gonna push the movie back," and they just changed the animation. They just redid Sonic through the entire movie. Like they had the movie done obviously, and so they just redid all of it. It took them a few months or whatever. Probably cost them a lot of money, but like the the movie is like they're like people were like, "We you listen to us? We're gonna go see the movie now." Yeah. Well, kudos right. to them. Next one. I think we've talked about this before. The Force is the Beatles. I think we've talked about this. I think we've said this before, right? I feel like we have because I, I remember the spiel in my head where I I go underrated because it's fashionable now to like say the Beatles are, are overrated. And uh, they, you know, I, I you know, the, the whole history of rock and roll where it's expropriating black music and the white musicians were popular. Like I get that, but the Beatles were really unique in what they did. Like this becoming a studio band after touring for the first part of it, they did a lot of unique stuff in the studio over those years. They were, you know, only around for eight years and then broke up. And, uh, 
I just, I don't know. I just like their music too. I, I, I remember initially not liking the early stuff, the more like poppy boy bandy kind of stuff. And now I just kind of like it. It's just well-crafted pop music. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to say overrated for most of the reasons. It's just like, I don't like their stuff as much, but you know, it's not me saying it's bad. Just whatever. All right. K-Fit says the Magna Carta. Um, overrated. Sure. All right. Joe says, oh, hold on. There's a, you can't, I've got to talk about I was hoping things. to get past this. I was hoping to, to get away from this. Here's the thing about the Magna Carta. Okay. Hold on. Just get this out of the way. Cause the next one's also the Louisiana purchase. Just go. <laughs> so the Magna Carta gets held up as this, you know, really, really important document in the, the, you know, history. Uh, um, it, it gets pointed as, as this document that's important for like sort of the development of of like democratic government. Like it was a step in that right direction. And that's not really what it was. It was a power struggle between the monarchy and the, and the Lords. It's really, it's an important document in the transition between feudalism and capitalism. That's what it is, but it really doesn't affect the lives of average workers that, you know, that much. That's not really what it's about. You know, there's like, obviously like English natural common law derives from it. So it's important in that respect too, but that law is still being, um, you know, applied through a bourgeois lens. So it gets, it gets overrated in that aspect. Like it's supposed to be this grand, like grassroots democratic movement. It's a bunch of, bunch of rich lords that, you know, were mad that the king had so much power. The same reason that the American Revolution happened. You know, a bunch of rich land speculators were mad that the king had too much power. Uh, and they weren't really concerned with the fate of common people. So, uh, it's also a function, like its importance is also overrated as a function of Eurocentric history, right? You know, we Europeans have destroyed a lot of history from other places. So it's not as, as, you know, I'm sure there were important things in, in other, uh, in other civilizations. Louisiana purchase, um, that one's like, you know, a whole different can of worms. <laughs> I don't know even how to like rate it because like, you would have to rate it on a scale of like the underrated because they got the land really cheap. I don't know. <laughs> they, they got it cheap because like Napoleon needed to crush the Haitian rebellion. So fuck yeah, Napoleon and go Haiti. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, all right, I, so that's all I want to say about that. The next is from Massimo as well. Uh, this one got a lot of res- responses uh, in the chats or whatever, but it's Dr. Pepper. Overrated. Um, I, don't, I don't like it. Am I allowed to answer this? <laughs> I don't, you're losing me. I think the last time I had a Dr. Pepper was probably not even in this century. (laughs) I mean, I I probably haven't had one for over a decade. Well, I, yeah. So if I've probably mentioned this on the show before, people don't know this at home. I don't drink soda like ever. And I haven't in probably 15 years, at least. Like I just haven't had a soda in like 15 years. Like I drink a lot of Coke and stuff when I was a kid and it was mostly Coke products. You know, like I have, you know, my share, fair share of Mountain Dew or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Dr. Pepper was fine. I didn't like it as much as everybody else. I remember, you know, always being like, man, people have to order Dr. Pepper a lot. And I just like Coke or whatever. But like, yeah, no, Dr. Pepper, uh, people who like Dr. Pepper are really into Dr. Pepper. And yeah, I, like I don't that, get it. Yeah. I don't it's get it. It's a different taste. It's like just a taste different. I, it has I 23 flavors, Canon, of which you can decipher none of them. Yeah. <laughs> because it just tastes like sweet. All right, so uh, Joey brings up one. Um, she says something about listening to this week's episode and hearing them rate movies, and she has a movie in here, uh, V for Vendetta. Um, I like this movie. I think it's overrated. I really am annoyed 
buy it for a very specific reason. Can I interrupt? Can I interrupt? I think the reason you're saying, I'm not trying to answer for you. I'm saying that I think the reason you're saying overrated and why I would think you would say overrated here, because I also think this is very underrated, but I think this part is overrated, is the appropriation that like white males and stuff have have on this movie. And like they take over the mask to think it's like, oh, I'm like so edgy and like against the government and stuff. Is that where you're going? Yes. The appropriation of the Guy Fawkes mask as this sort of revolutionary figure when he was just a Catholic zealot who tried to blow up parliament to reinstate the monarchy. Yeah, because here's the thing. Overall, uh, that movie and the book is massively underrated. It is very good. I actually think the movie is more underrated than the book because the movie is a little more modern than the book is. The character of Evie is more of a scapegoat in the um, graphic novel version. While in the movie, she's like a strong character that can stand on her own, has like her own will, her own desire. She gets to make her own choices. Well, in the book, the things just kind of happened to her, if you get what I'm saying. I also haven't read the, I haven't read the book in a very long time. But um, I think overall, it's great. It's amazingly well acted. I mean, you can put the, the accents aside, but it's amazingly well acted. I love this movie. I actually rewatched this recently with my wife because she had never seen it. I think the movie is... Just, As a piece of cinema, it's really good. Yeah. Also, very underrated. Natalie Portman with a buzz cut. Just, just obviously just a beautiful woman at all times. So, <laughs> like... Because eh. you, you had seen this movie, I'll, I mean, I'll pass on the buzz cut. Whatever. She buzzes all her hair off in this movie. Um, if you have not seen this movie, if you have not, within the next twenty four hours, please do yourself a favor. Get yourself some popcorn, whatever soda, whatever snack you like. Goobers. Set aside two two and a half hours and just watch this movie. I think it's on Netflix. I think it might be on some other stuff too. I think it's on multiple streaming services. If you do not have it. I will literally PayPal you like the the half, pay, like $3 or whatever it is for you to go rent it from, you know, whatever YouTube it is. YouTube or Amazon or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. But just please do yourself a favor. Watch the show. But I will tell you this. This is not a show that you can have on in the background while you're doing something else. You need to be paying attention to every bit of it. And I think another reason it's underrated is every time I watch it, I notice something new and different. Like every time. And I've seen the movie probably like 10 times. I've seen it two or three I've seen it a lot. I love it. Also, Viggo Mortensen, I could just listen to this movie because Viggo Mortensen is like V in the movie V for Vendetta and you like never see his face. You just hear him talk. Isn't it and, Hugo uh, Weaving? Hugo Weaving. Uh, I, don't, I said Viggo Mortensen for some other guy. Yeah. No reason. We were talking about Lord of the Rings a minute ago. It's Hugo Weaving. His voice is enchanting and I could just listen to him talk like all times. T- took me a second to remember who it, who it actually was. I was like, it's definitely not Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever but, said something and you believe it, even though you're like, that didn't sound right, and you just believe it, you just keep going? That's what just no. happened. We talked about Lord of the Rings. The name sounds similar. That That's the kind of mistake that I would make too, and people would look at me and be like, Ross, like, that's not right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I just realized how long this episode has been, and I am starving, so let's go ahead and... Uh, yeah, that's a, I was going to say, that's a good place to wrap it up too, a strong, yeah. strong recommendation. All right, but super recommendation. I heavily, heavily incentivize everyone to go watch that movie. It's it's a it's probably in my top ten of all time. I I absolutely adore that movie. So, um, anyway, Ross, if people wanted to hear some more of your rants and ravings, where would they go? Okay, best place is my Twitter account. I'm at Ross Hunnids. You know, good place to keep abreast of all my content as well as ask me questions. I try to get back to people as often as possible. Uh, then there's my written content on Star City Games. Um, that goes up on. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article is about um, two interesting decks I found from uh, challenges over this last weekend in Modern. 
There are updates to Tron and humans that are a little bit different and reasons why I think those decks needed updating and why I like specifically those updates. So it's sort of a little bit theoretical, but with examples so that you see the theory in practice, uh, which I like to do with my theory articles is to have really concrete examples with them. Uh, so if that sounds uh, interesting to you, check that out. And then, um, then there is my non-written content for SCG, by which I mean versus live, the web show that Corey Baumeister and I do twice a week. Uh, by the time this gets up, we'll have already done tomorrow's episode, but uh, we go up on Tuesdays and Thursdays live, 1 to 4 p.m. on the Star City Games Twitch channel. Um, if you can't catch us live, which I suggest you do, because we take questions live from the audience, we have a great time, uh, you can find the VODs on the SCG YouTube channel the next day at 5 p.m. Eastern. And then last but not least is my Twitch channel. I have not streamed in quite a while. And as Tannen has mentioned during the show, my computer is currently on the fritz. But as soon as that gets fixed, I'm going to get back into it. Uh, I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. And if you follow me on Twitter, you will find out when my comeback happens. Tannen, where can people find you? SRB, my Twitter is at the Tannen Grace. My Twitch is just normally Tannen Grace. I'm going to get through this quickly. My throat is really bothering me. Um, you can follow the show's Twitter at uh, MTG Rants. Uh, we also have a Discord. You can find that on our Twitter. The link is there. There's a lot of links that you can find there, as well as our, our patron uh, channel as well. So you can find all the patrons that have our show. You can find our Patreon if you want to you know, help us out a little bit financially. We'd really appreciate that. Obviously, you don't have to, but it's something that we do greatly appreciate. And uh, that surprise that we've been kind of talking about, I saw it the other day. It looks amazing. So I'm hoping that we can start getting those out to people as soon as possible. So uh, if you've been a patron of the show for quite a while, we might have something for you real, real soon. So you know, I like it. A little so belated hopefully they will. holiday present. A little late, late holiday present. So, But without further ado, that will be it for this week's episode. And we'll see you all next week with probably a lot more spoilers. So I'm looking forward to it. But thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you all again next week. <laughs>